I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast from the Savage Critics website. Recorded before the Oscars, but somehow refreshingly prediction-free, Wait, What? Episode 116 is two hours and 15 minutes of comic book podcasting adventure. As Graham McMillan and I tackle all of our old favorite topics, fumble some new ones, and engage in poorly constructed, hastily erected sports metaphors. Topics today include the last two issues of Happy by Grant Morrison and Derek Robertson, Batman 17 by Greg Capullo and Scott Snyder, the sixth issue of The Avengers, the fifth issue of Thor, the final issue of Hellblazer, Orson Scott Card, Oscar Scott Cord, the first issues of Nova and the Justice League of America, those are two titles, not one, alas, the latest Superman event, the new teams on Green Lantern, and the glory that is Hookjaw, along with much, much more. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeff, can you hear me? Hello, Jeff. This is very weird. <laughs> no, there you, there you are. What happened? Someone might have hit the mute button by accident. <laughs> yeah, moron. <laughs> That's totally true. I am a moron. But then suddenly I couldn't hear you either. So, um, you know, I'm only half a moron. You are just fine. <laughs> no, I'm not. That was... Are we even, like, is this recording? This is recording. This is on. It's all go. Do you want me to call you back in a second and we can, like, pretend this never happened? <laughs> we, we should, this should definitely be the start of it. The start of it should be you, like, fumbling and me being like, oh, thank God, it's finally working. <laughs> yes, everybody, we are back. Go we are back. I'm clearly starting as we mean to go on. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, how are you, sir? I've, I've, I've got to do at least a little bit of, of catching up with you before we start in on the, the comic topics of the day that everyone wants to hear us discuss. D- do they? Oh, God, that's worrying. Uh, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm having one of those weeks where I am, I am busy enough that I feel busy, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I know in the past I've been like, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, and you're like, oh, Jesus. And for me, I'm just like, that's what a week is. No, this week is, this week is busy. Mm. Um, and it's busy in good ways. Like it's actually a lot of talking to people for future things that I'm writing for Wired. Oh, nice! But talking to people then means transcribing. Oh, yeah, not so. Yeah, nice. exactly. Which just sort of sticks in the back of your brain, going, "You've not done me. Don't you want to listen to this two-hour conversation again? <laughs> no, really. Come on. Don't you want to type it all up? And you're like, "No. The last thing I want to do is type it up. Jesus. You know, I think I've asked you this, but can you like Skype your Google Voice number and then play that into? your Google voicemail and then have it transcribe it, do a rough transcription? That uh, that would rely on a few things. One, Google being able to transcribe accurately, which it just cannot. No, it totally can't. And two, the qu- audio quality of the recording oh. being clear enough as well. And, you know, in both cases, it, it just wouldn't happen. Like, I, I would have something that would be so wrong that it might as well just start from scratch. <laughs> Oh, man, I've okay. also because I've also considered the fact that my computer does voice typing, mm-hmm. like you can set on voice activated stuff. Oh, but yeah. um, but I've tried that in the past, and it is so horrifically off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it again, it's it's just not worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's um, a shame. So yeah, there's been lots of. Uh, I was talking to Chris and Allison from Monkey Brain earlier mm-hmm. on this week uh, for something for Wired that will run next week. Mm-hmm. Probably the day after you hear this, listeners. Um, and then I was talking to a company called Uyala today, who are a, co- a company that checks the metrics, basically does ratings for online video. Mm. 
um, which is not a very popular thing, but is now in the news because Nielsen have said they're going to do it. Mm. Um, and they're like, you do know that the number of people who watch long form, i.e., more than an hour's worth of programming um, on of video on the internet, more than doubled last year, right? Wow! And they think that parity between television and internet is going to be achieved in 2016, if not earlier. Wow. Which kind of blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, so yeah, so it's been stuff like that, and it's also a catalog week. Mm-hmm. Oh God, is it? Oh Jesus. Yeah. Uh. Um, so there, yeah, there's a lot of stuff still hanging over my head, and it's like Thursday, you know? And it's just <laughs> like, well, I, I actually almost definitely know that I can't do all of this before the end of Friday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm going to have to work at some point this weekend. So there you go. So I, I'm, you know, I'm simultaneously frazzled and feeling like I fucked myself because I'm going to be working this weekend. Right. But also, like, it's it's all fun for want of a better way of putting it. Right. Right. Like, it's not like all these things are things that I hate doing. It's just like I wish I could do. I wish there was another day this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? So so there you go. That's how I am. How are you, Jeff Lester? You know, I don't know. Like, I think I'm sort of, in theory, basically all right-ish, you know? Um, <laughs> it's a classic Jeff Lester answer. How are you? Well, I've got my health, but is that a good thing? Right, except I'm not really sure I have my health. So, yeah, so it's it's one of those things. I mean, it's don't get me wrong, nothing's exactly wrong, but I, things just feel a little bit off. So ever since uh, getting the the flu that I got the other month, I just, I've been like pretty run down and finally I'm just sort of like, okay, well, let's get this looked at. Let's see what's going on. And then there were some other things that I was like, I'm sure are nothing, but if you want to look at it from another angle, you can totally worry about it until you're, you know, blue in the face. So. Yeah, that, that's that's very easy to do. I do that as well. Like yeah. earlier on this week, I was just, literally, I was just sneezing and I was like, oh God, somehow I've got the flu. <laughs> Which I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I don't have the flu. Yeah. I had flu shots. The odds of me getting the flu after getting a flu shot are, you know, not exactly in the flu's favor, shall we say. Right. But uh, being nonetheless, it's just like, well, that's the start of it. <laughs> right, exactly. It's all downhill from here. Um, yeah, yeah. So the health thing, that's kind of weird. But apart I'm from... sorry to hear that. That's fine. I appreciate it. And And of course, actually, the writing stuff was going great. Up until the other day where I basically tripped and fell and sort of impaled myself. And I think it's sort of the same sort of thing today where it's like this morning it was like, okay, Jeff, don't be an idiot. Sit down. Do your writing. Worry about all these comics you have to read later. And instead I was like, yeah, but let me just read three pages of this Hookjaw annual that was sent me in the mail. And uh, that was, that was that, you wrote. can't do that. I know, but I'm really let's, dumb. Let's I just read three pages of Hookjaw. No, but, well, you're, the, you're a, not coming out of there alive. So it's, you're going to get all the way through to the end of it. Well, I'm not quite, but it is. It is. Oh my God, Hookjaw is so good. And because each installment is like three pages, I'm like, yeah, sure, I can do this. But but it it really is that amazing. Like, oh my God, how I can't believe they fucking did that. What are they going to do in the next three what, pages? Yeah, what do they do next? Yeah, yeah. And so it really is just a beautiful level of um, of kind of ramping up. I mean, I know a lot of people, their 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 hearts belong to uh, Shaco, and I, I totally get it in, in no small part because having um, five pages 
rather than three pages allows for just a just that much more i suppose um over the topness to be jammed into a number of pages um but but hookjaw really is like it's like the stuff of nightmares for me like i would just flip through this stuff and i'm so glad that i never somehow came across it accidentally as a child because it would have just scarred me for life so you know so needless to say i adore it now um and shako's fantastic too but i just look at hookjaw and there's just scenes where it's just people being pulled apart for and always innocent people and it's just like oh well, god well it's it's yeah it's mm-hmm. got to be innocent people jeff well of course of course the great thing is it just as with the shako formula you know the fucking shako is the one that tears apart the bad guys Yes, he does. He gets to the bad guys. But this, this opening hookjaw gambit, the great thing about it is the evil oil industrialist keeps living chapter after chapter. And it is a little bit like Shaco uh, in that there's like the good guy who is working for the bad guy. And the competent good guy keeps getting steered into the jaws of death and keeps barely making it out alive. Um, but at the end of each chapter, it's always like, you know... In, in Hookjaw, he's like, well, we should really get off this oil rig. And the, and the guy's like, no, not till I have my money. Ah, And it's like, really? You're still staying? The, like, how many more innocent people have to die? And uh, the great thing is... is None of them are him, Jeff, so yeah, it's fine. I know. It, 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 he all but says that. And then the next chapter. So it really is just kind of entertainingly heartless in a way that... Um, that, I that appeals. <laughs> that appeals, yeah, exactly. In fact, um, which is really funny because uh, in in the interest of getting us talking about comics, Hookjaw and all, um, I I caught up on uh, Happy by Grant Morrison and Derek Robertson. I picked up issues three and four. Oh, interesting. How, how was that? You know, I don't know how to say it. I liked it. I ended up liking it. I, I love how you're like, I don't know how to say that I liked it. Yeah, because, well, because, I mean, I remember us, were, we were both pretty um Not on board the first issue? Yeah, yeah, with the first issue. And then the second issue, which I picked up, and I assume you probably read, I liked a little bit more. Um, and then, yeah, by the time I got to the fourth issue, I pretty much dug it as just sort of a straight-on kind of, like... He connects all the dots. Everything kind of adds up. Um, it it ends up being less of a, you know, Garth Ennis piss take, and it actually sort of stands on its own two shaky feet. And I, I actually wondered if that was going to be the case. I mm. thought I wondered if it was going to be like it starts off as sub Ennis and then turns into Grant Morrison. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it 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 um, and that's I would say that's actually a really good um, argument for what happens. I mean, in many ways, it's uh, the thing that's kind of nice about Happy is is that it's sort of the extent to which I wonder about it being um, you could maybe say that Morrison is, is doing a piss take on himself by the end of it, but I don't think so. I think he's actually just sort of taking the final crisis formula of you know you start from evil is one, and then you just go from there. And he actually does a kind of nice job at by filling in the, the backstory of the characters of making you feel like there's enough stuff at stake, and then by the time it, you know, you get to the end of it, you're like, huh, okay. You know, but th- there there's some weird... I'm kind of curious as to the degree to which the subtext in Happy is... Um, 
intentional, like with Morrison, because it's hard to imagine that it's accidental knowing him. But it seems to very much be because his beloved, um, you know, hey, this this make believe character is going to save the day. He literally has you know a scene very much like that that sort of reminded me of Final Crisis again in in odd ways. Um, and it's sort of yeah, I, I I both enjoyed it and and kind of went like yeah for four issues of Morrison, that was surprisingly chewy. Um, if it had come out under Vertigo, I think you know I think more people would have seen it, read it, and arguably some of the editorial constraints would have made it seem a little less um, self indulgent than it lo- than it looked like at first blush. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's not a great end all or be all in some ways it sort of seems like the the world's biggest sweariest uh you know 2000 AD crime story but it I but I did like it I ended I really was kind of surprised and shocked that I was like wow I really like this and then I read Action Comics 17 and I'm like oh by contrast <laughs> oh really because I've not I've not read uh, Action 17 oh, really? all, I've, See, all, can... I've, all I've read of DC this week is the stuff they've sent me Ah, well, let's let's hear about that, shall we? Uh, no, t- tell me about Action Comics first. Well, okay. I, see, this is the problem. My problem is, is I like I read it, and it honestly read like a bunch of pages thrown together. Now, this is kind of the thing. Like there, there was, um, you know, we were taken to task in the comments recently about, uh, 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 you know, I think our rather controversial, like the holes in our analysis. Um, you know, that suggests that perhaps we have axes to grind. Uh, and somebody mentioned, like, relatively clear parts in the storylines that are spelled out that we seem to overlook because we, you know, have biases. Like, for example, the Soul Gems uh, sequence in uh, um, New Avengers, uh, where I was baffled that, that those were actually the gems speaking, and people were like, well, clearly this just means that, you know, I, but I'm not. I'm not sure it's necessarily biases as much as we just don't understand it. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I sort of wanted to do too. It's like to like <laughs> listener. Like, I think I think we're actually just a dumb. Bias. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I, call that bias is a bit strong. Well, let's see if I can. I, should I see if I, think I can was, find the comment? Maybe I should find the comment for actual con for for actual context here. Uh, unfortunately, that means a lot of me like clicking on things and going, um, no, that's yeah, but, not it. Or... <laughs> <laughs> what I what I was because I did see the comment that essentially said that we give Morrison a lot of credit that we don't give Hickman. There is that, yeah. There is, um, but it's funny that you call Action Comics seventeen, which again I've not read, but that you call it a bunch of pages thrown together because I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Because remember, <laughs> this is the one that will, at the last minute was this isn't the final issue of the story after all. We're doing another issue after this. Oh, yeah. And remember we said this was 48 pages. It's actually a normal issue. And yep. the next one's going to be exercise. I, it, that's not a good way to finish. Oh, yeah. Let me I tell mean, you. Like, mm-hmm. You immediately think, oh, so there's either filler or it's going to be a fucking mess. Yeah. So check this out. This is actually great. Is like you get to the cliffhanger. Then you get to the backup story. You get a full page of the backup story. Uh, by Charlie Fish and Chris Sprouts. Oh, is it? Is it actually a full page? No, I'm sorry. They actually give you, you read three pages of the backup story by Fish and Chris Sprouts, and then you get to the fourth page, which is basically the title credits and a full page splash. And there's also an awesome editorial box that says, Editor's Note, 
This story takes place after the events of Action Comics 18. They've done, yeah, but they've done that before. Yeah, they, is, they did like, with that Luther thing or whatever, and I thought that sucked then too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's terrible. It really is like that. No, that's not what you do. Mm-hmm. But same thing. What else do you do? Do you say, okay, backup team, Grant Morrison's fucked up his pacing, right. so you either you have to come up with a new story, right, or we're not gonna have anything, right? You know, it's it's. It sucks to be Charlie Fish, I think is what I'm saying. I agree. I, I in no way do you hear me blaming Charlie Fish for this, because it makes sense. It totally, you can see where it goes and why they did it. But at the same time, I was just like, what? And yeah, this book definitely does read like, I feel like Morrison is trying to put a lot of stuff together. He's jamming everything into this, including stuff that he had forgotten well, or or stuff that sort of seemed somewhat one offish. One offish. He's like, I'm going to put it all in there. Like by the time you get to the end of it, like I feel like. Remember how you said the um, the Legion seems different in action than it's than in the other Legion books. Yes, he, he explains that. <laughs> of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Here, here's the thing where I, I'm simultaneously like, well, good. And you really didn't have to do that. <laughs> right, I know. Exactly. Isn't it? I really there's there is that great way that I feel like Morrison sometimes does this like, okay, well I'm just gonna give you guys what you want. What? You said you didn't want it? Can't hear you, you know. So Well it's not just that, it's it's that I think Morrison gets really eager to please mm-hmm. to the detriment of, for example, common sense. Mm. <laughs> I mean, really, to the detriment of his pacing. Right. Um, If there's a point where he's like, well, I really should explain this, but I only have two pages left, he will somehow turn into, I can probably fit it in. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 Which is is always a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I... I, I, Put it this way, I'm not surprised that it's a bit of a mess. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. I think my problem was it just literally... Oh, anyway, so my thing about the biases is is that picking this up, I read 17, and I thought it kind of stunk up the joint. But then I was like, ah, but you know, it's like part three or four of like a final epic that has already acknowledged that it's telling its stories in nonlinear fashion. And so it's this feeling of like, well, maybe this really is like... The problem is I'm not working hard enough to meet them halfway, you know? I'm really not, like, jumping on, um, like, you know, I'm not doing what Graham McMillan will do and, like, reread the entire run and then read just so that I can read the next issue and have the proper context for it. Yeah, but uh, I do that because I'm weird. Like, that should not be that should not be a prerequisite of reading a story. I, I totally agree. I, I I absolutely agree. On the I think, other hand, I think if you're writing, but I think if you're writing, thinking I don't have to make this accessible or even easily fold, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unless you have gone back and reread everything, right? I think that's a problem. I think I think you have to at least give a coherent mm-hmm. chunk of story, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even if it is not a complete chunk of story. Yeah. I, I definitely am down with that. Um, so yeah, so I was not, I was not, I was not totally pleased. I have to say, in that regard, and it was kind of funny to me because I totally was. If I was a betting man, and you had held up the last two issues of Happy, and then it held up like the two most recent issues 
of action comics and said which one will you like exactly yeah. i would have i would have lost that hands down absolutely hands down so okay here's a question then mm-hmm. where on the morrison spectrum mm-hmm. does batman incorporated fall for you uh, currently, I you know I'm willing to give Batman Incorporated a real um, sort of a pass until it gets collected, um, because because there's parts of it that I love, then there's parts of it that I think are kind of underdeveloped bullshit, and then there's the parts that I sort of where it kicks in, and I'm like, no, I feel like it's really it's all there. It's, I I don't it you know, and if nothing else, I sort of feel like there's a huge chunk of um, ambition to it and a certain degree of meta I I guess you know for me as Batman Incorporated steamrolls on I have this weird I have the dread or the worry that I have the whole like oh Batman's really fucked this time kind of feeling that I wouldn't have is kind of this thing of like you know Grant Morrison's leaving DC and I don't think he feels especially well served you know, <laughs> maybe he's gonna fuck them up just out of jealousness and bitterness. Right. Exactly. Well, and I mean, he's not gonna. Exactly. I don't. Well, in other words, at least in that level of like when he left the X Men, and he's like, no, the X Men lose. You know, like everyone loses because you know because essentially the game is rigged and it just rolls round and round and round. It gets worse and worse each time. You know, and considering the huge lengths to which Morrison. Um, went, I felt, to to sort of perform an exorcism spell on Batman and Bruce Wayne in The Return of Bruce Wayne. Um, mm. And then, you know, just two years later or less than a year later, be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm throwing it in the towel. Fuck it, you know. Did you read... Uh... Death of the Family, the final episode? I did. I, well, o- almost, in that I, I actually wanted to read the Batman and Robin and forgot to pick it up. Oh, um, no, no, I, I meant the Scott Snyder. Yes. Pool, like the official final episode. Yeah, the official final ending I just read yesterday. It, I picked it up, and it was actually probably the first book that I read. Here's my question, mm-hmm. spitting off of what you just said about Morrison. Right. Do you feel that Morrison performs an exorcism on Batman, and then Scott Snyder came along and basically repossessed him? Yeah, I think I, <laughs> I, I think that that is how Morrison feels, and I honestly think, looking at it, that it's that Snyder wouldn't think that way, but Morrison certainly would, um, because Death of the Family, that last, did you read that last issue, and have you followed it all the way through, or what's your... I, I have, for my sins, yeah. Oh, I see, okay. I, I have I have read, I want to say I might have read every single issue of Death of the Family that's actually branded as a Death of the Family issue. Oh, boy. Oh, like, right, including you have, you read, like, right. Because I'm complicated, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um... Well, I'd like to hear what you think of it, and then I can sort of maybe talk about what I think of it, because I, oh. I think we'll end up in very, mostly different places. And... Well, I don't know if you saw Douglas and Evan and I discussing the final Capullo-Snyder issue on Kotaku. No, I did not. Short version, we hated it. We mm. hated it with a blinding passion. <laughs> and it was interesting, because I, I was probably the most... Um, kind I guess ah. but like going in I did not expect that because I thought it was terrible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just appalling and a cop out and I thought also it was betrayed by the crossover mm. I think that uh, Snyder and Capullo's 
arc is a sloppy execution of a potentially interesting idea oh yeah in itself mm-hmm. but when it suddenly becomes and it's a line wide crossover right then by the time you get to the final issue you feel betrayed that nothing really has happened yeah like that entire arc could have been an issue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also it's such a false jeopardy ending the idea of well now my friends aren't talking to me it's fucking ridiculous. Well, you know, actually, that okay. So that was the thing. Is like that particular page was the page where I went, okay, is that something that was established in all the other crossover issues? Because that's it's there's nothing with it here. There's just no, nothing to no. do with it here. That's just it. It okay. it it literally comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, the other crossovers essentially are character like title character. Faces off against the Joker and loses. Right, exactly. I, I sort of figured. So don't get any idea of what he said to them, mm-hmm. and I, you never will. Let's face it. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, but the, just the very notion of, and then he said something that made that shattered their faith in Batman. Right. Is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then to go from that to Bruce Wayne being like, so then I went to see him as Bruce Wayne. And he didn't care that I was Bruce Wayne, so I thought, I'm fine, because he's not interested in me. Ridiculous. <laughs> like, it, again, just utterly stupid. Yeah. It really is Batman as the most optimistic, naive person in the world. Yeah, I... I which... Uh... I don't know what he's trying to say, mm-hmm. but you just... That does not work with everything else Snyder's trying to do with Batman. Do you know what I mean? You can't have Batman being hyper-capable apart from this one thing where he is amazingly naive. Right. Well, and also that it's this whole thing of like, well, that's, you know... There's kind of this thing that I feel that um, Snyder has this take on... Well, actually, I think there's a lot of things that are going on, frankly. When I read this, the 17th issue... Batman, the the death of the family wrap up. I like put down that book, and I was just like, hmm, how do I put it? Like Scott Snyder is, if I feel like he's smart enough to know. Well, I I honestly I feel it's one of those situations where Snyder and Capullo are working a little bit at cross purposes. Um, because I feel, and I could be wrong, like without taking the any of the sort of panel structure or what everything that you think of when you think of someone doing a riff on uh, Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns, um, is all stuff that you don't see in Capullo's like method of storytelling, but in his art. Like, I was flipping through this, because there's, you know, that scene where, like, Joker, like, squirts acid on, like, Batman's mask, and it begins, like, crumbling and falling apart and stuff. The the close-ups on the Batman face, like, the Batman mask is the Frank Miller, Claus Jansen Batman face. You know, it just is, that is the mask, you know? And... So the whole time, like, when, and you've got, you know, Joker dropping his, like, darlings and lover boys and all this other stuff. So there's just this super, super strong um, indebtedness to Miller's uh, Dark Knight that, that people, that I think 
Capullo really wants to do, Snyder probably wants to do, but they're also aware that this is this is the sort of shit that a certain level of Batman fan is just going to, like, thrash about orgasmically over, you know? And, um... And it doesn't really serve the type of story that Snyder either is telling or the or the tightrope that that he's trying to walk. Because Snyder, I feel, with his Batman, is trying to have his bat cake and eat it too. He wants the Batman... He wants Bruce Wayne the asshole from the Dark Knight, you know. But he does also wants him to be like the best guy and the sign of optimism and the guy who, you know, for all his flaws is like, you know, is caring dad is like caring dad who can't express it, but is caring dad. And, and it just ends up being wrong. You know, the character doesn't make sense. It's kind of fascinating that the drama in death of a family's conclusion comes from the idea that Batman, who is historically a loner character Mm -hmm. is abandoned by his family. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like that, there, there is something interesting in there. Oh yeah, absolutely. The execution to get there, though, mm-hmm. honestly, just felt laughable. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I feel that his, I, I feel that his Joker, the Snyder Joker, was terrible. Mm-hmm. Was, was the most unsubtle mm-hmm. Joker ever. So you, you literally have the Joker who is in love with Batman. You literally have the Joker who doesn't care of about his previous identity, and in fact would rather run away than know about it. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like he was taking all the subtext of the Joker mm-hmm. and making it text, and in the process making the character so much more boring. Um. Well, I feel like he was just like, okay, he's a violent psychopath who's in love with the hero. Right. The end. <laughs> and it's like, really? Like it was so on the nose that it was just like. Well, I think that's it. Well, this is the thing. I think that's the... the... I'm not necessarily bored with a Joker that's on the nose. I just also think that, unfortunately, to really do that quote-unquote justice, you really have to go the the whole way. Like, I really did have this moment where I was like, okay, so if he actually cut off all their faces and then they kind of get sewn, you know, reattached via the miracle of, you know, Dr. Midnight and uh, Dr. Fate or something like that, you know, but they're still kind of unsettled by the idea that they actually had their fucking faces cut off in service to this guy. Like, you know, like Batman saved them, but he did he really save them enough, kind of? But Snyder, so that's something that I thought at one page, I, 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 you know I'd what like I mean? Batman saved them, but did he save them enough? Is totally what was in Scott Snyder's head when he wrote this. Yes, exactly, exactly. And part of me is like, kind of like that. It's to go back to everything that I've complained, slashed, appreciated about Scott Snyder. That is kind of stupid in a way that works for me. What doesn't work is this idea that you do get this Joker who's like, "I'm the most evil guy ever," and that's why surprise, I did not kill your butler, and surprise, I did not cut off their faces, and surprise, you know what I mean? No. It's fake faces, which somehow are so realistic that you were completely convinced. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, but never mind. I'm not going to tell you what they wear, because right, that would exa- slow things down. We yeah. have a chase sequence to do. Yeah, and yeah. by the way, here's, like, you know, I've gassed all your friends, but instead of killing them, like I've done everyone else, I've done, I've done gas that will wear off. 
Yeah. Well, that, right. Again, that is worn off by the power of family of love. or love. Yeah, basically by the power of of yeah. It, I, I really, I really thought that uh, the the Snyder Capullo arc in itself, like those four issues, mm-hmm. was a horrendous misfire. Mm-hmm. But the whole like crossover right, as a line, four, uh, oh yeah. god, yeah. <laughs> that's that's horrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and especially so because um, you know, really, uh, at least pound for pound in a. Like way too on the nose, but really disturbing in a way that doesn't seem like it's chickening out. The Batman and Robin issues again haven't read the finale, but the build up those crossover issues by Tomasi and is it Patrick Zercher? Is that who's, who's it, doing? No, the it's uh, Pat Gleason. Pat Gleason, thank you. Are just fucking creepy as shit. And again, this is this is Jeff, the guy who is currently in Shaco slash hook job mode. Like, I am perfectly okay with, like, if you want a Joker that represents death and so, boom, you're having all these maggots, like, thrown at the the reader and they're all drawn in, like, you know, creepy uh, detail. I'm like, there's a level to me which I'm down with that. But the idea that really at the end of the day, that, that despite everything, every bit of Grand Guignol that was promised at Death of the Family, the Joker is really just about at the level of an average episode of Super Friends, in terms of what he actually did. Uh, That just, for no other reason than just it's just a super cheap cop-out. You know? It it just, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, we want to, like, fucking fry your minds and just go to the outside edges of this relationship, which means like drag drudging up all the subtext and slapping you in the face with it. Like a, you know, a fish or a joker fish, if you want to get old school in your references and then nothing like just nothing. Like, again, there's just that thing of like, Oh, and I tied them up and there's their faces, but it's not their faces. And surprise, I gave them pedicures, but evil pedicures, but really good looking pedicures. You know, yeah, it was just not really just no, overpriced pedicures. Re- really? They're just going to look at their credit card bills and go, why did I pay for that? Like, seriously, my cuticles are a wreck, just a wreck. That Joker tricked me again. Like I just, that was, um, that's yeah, it's underwhelming. But goddamn, do I love looking at Greg Capullo's art. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, you sh- you should read the the uh, the Batman Robin epilogue, which you know yeah. is in no way listed as an epilogue whatsoever. Right. But I think uh, maybe more. I mean, you know about the Batman Incorporated spoilers that everyone is talking about, right? I don't. Okay, then never mind. No, I would say talk about. Tell saying. me, tell me about him because I'm just. Well, sure. everyone's talking about the fact that Robin is apparently going to die in the next issue of Batman. Okay, Carver. but it, which has not come out, right? I haven't like which is which has not come out. Okay, thank you. Just everyone's uh, convinced I know, it's happening. It might not be true. It could right. be a spectacular head fuck. And to be honest, I'll be very surprised if it's not a spectacular head fuck. Mm-hmm. I'll be very surprised if Robin does die and stay dead. Mm-hmm. Well, considering we'll like Morrison started with killing Robin at the beginning of this arc, fake killing. Yeah, him. I, and also considering that. Thanks to the setup of the Batman world, you have the Lazarus pits. <laughs> like you can actually oh, yeah, kill so and things. then bring him back to life. Like right. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Batman Robin seventeen feels very much like a goodbye to Robin. Mm. Uh, the the plot is I don't know if you know this, the plot is after a night of patrolling, mm-hmm. Batman Robin and Alfred go to bed and you see their dreams, mm. and half the issue is Robin's dream. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
which is creepy as shit. Mm. He actually has a dream that he wakes up into, uh, he wakes up from, and it's another dream. So he mm-hmm. actually has two, two Robin dreams for the price of one. Right. And both of them are creepy. That's great. Uh, in particular, how he sees his father mm-hmm. is creepy as shit. Hmm. Hmm. It's really, really creepy. And it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, you can tell that, like, he's not comfortable with it. It's not like this is how he normally sees his dad. Right. I see. Um, the Alfred one is really charming. Mm-hmm. But also not an obvious Alfred read, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is the most explicit Joker tie-in of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. In that the Joker appears. It is about confronting the Joker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... And the Batman one is all crazy metaphor. <laughs> hmm. Uh, it's, it's totally dream logic, though. Uh-huh. You know, all of a sudden Batman is trying to save Gotham, which is flooding. Mm-hmm. He can't get his head above water. And, you know, there's all the, the dream imagery happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just a, a beautifully done done in one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that functions as a, an epilogue to Death of the Family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also really feels like a by Damien. Mm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I do have that little thing. Uh, on our off week, I think there was the sales analysis for the DC figures. I think maybe that was right after we talked and, and not. But I remember like kind of catching it and looking at like this idea of like, are they really going to kill Damien? I mean, like, I'm kind of having that weird, like, Batman and Robin is a pretty high-selling book, you know? And, I mean, I don't know. Do you think they'll just move in another Robin, you know? Well, the the rumor mm-hmm. is that Batman and Robin is going to feature former Robins. Uh-huh. Uh, that it's going to be Jason Todd who will basically take up the role in the book. Mm-hmm. At least temporarily. Right. What I what I think is going to happen mm-hmm. is that uh, Damien will die mm-hmm. uh, and stay dead until the end of Morrison's arc when mm-hmm. he will bring him back. Yeah, I think so too. And so they will have a they'll have Jason Todd or they'll have uh, Tim Drake mm-hmm. in the Batman and Robin book. I see. Okay. For that time. Okay. In a you know Batman's off the rails. He's on stop. He's they've killed his son, and now he's out for revenge. Type thing. Right. Right. Um. You know, can the former Robin pull him back? Mm, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then they'll bring back Damien. Right. I can't see. I can't see Damien staying dead. I can't either. Although it's definitely instead of a Lazarus pit, I was thinking that it was going to be sort of some version of a of a recloned Damien. In fact, I sort of half think that that's how Morrison is going to do it. They have well, they ha- they mention that in Batman and Garbage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was my other thought. My other thought was they kill Damien and then use the other Damien mm-hmm. as the new Robin. Yeah, yeah. And again, there's kind of a thing. By that point, Morrison has you know can make a, a rather ambiguous po- point about whether these characters die or you know or him basically saying yeah you know don't you know this character's dead. Don't be fooled by the fact that he's still running around alive but yeah you know but also of the complete uh the easily replaceable nature of these characters Mm -hmm. yeah exactly you know which is the part where i can see him being at this dispirited level i think which i think is also what's happening in batman incorporated in general Mm. 
I think with I think honestly by killing off the knight, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just something there that feels thematically important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially seeing as the knight is the sidekick who grew up and took the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel I feel there's definitely some sort of bait and switch up, coming up. Right. Or perhaps you mean bat and switch switch. Huh? That would have been so much better if you could have said bat and switch. I know, fuck you. Like... You're totally right. <laughs> I was like, I fucked it up. I'm like, fuck! I got uh, bat right and I screwed up switch. Son of a... Ah. So, um... Yeah, no, I actually, again, I thought it was appalling, but man, there was some art on there that I thought was lovely. But you get to that last page, the ha-ha-ha thing or whatever, and I'm like, with the fly even, no less. And I was like... Wow, I don't know what I you guys totally fucked this fucked the pooch on this one, you know. But um, I'd say, like, am I missing something? What's the what was the point of the fly? I don't know, like the evil within us all. Like, I don't know. I mean, it really was. I was just like, huh, what? Like, I just that that one was one that I was just I was not I was not getting that one. So yeah, but but at the level, and of course this is going to be the part where it's like, you people are clearly biased against Scott Snyder because that story, uh, let me say, what? Ch- I just said, so many people loved it, so many people were like, five stars were and they? I, I honestly was like I read a different comic Yeah, I read a comic that was a horrendous letdown, I yeah. wish I'd read your comic yeah, exactly but I just, no, no, like I totally get that, but of course at the same time I'm also like, mmm Joker, like I'm in, like mm, Batman mask. You know, I just I I loved looking at this book. I have to say, it's just a shame that it was like stone cold stupid, and and unfortunately not quite in that way. That's you know not in the awesome not, way. Not fun, stupid. Yeah, yeah, not not really fun, stupid at all. Unfortunately, so I do wonder. I feel I sort of feel like Snyder and Capullo are not quite working in tandem there, or it could just be that I feel that Snyder has a lot of ambition for he basically does want to do it all but but what he really wants to do is something that's kind of darker a little more fucked up and a little more like hey I don't like Bruce Wayne and I don't like Batman except you've got to also have that party line of like but Batman's the best and I love him you know and so I think that that's Batman's awesome Batman's awesome and Bruce Wayne is awesome and one of the most awesome things about Bruce Wayne is he went to Arkham Asylum and put the guard up on the window and I was just like what why would you do that like what does that even mean you know like hey fair is fair let me tell you who my secret identity is because you know you're never going to get out of there or what I just didn't just don't I don't understand like and that's the moment that's the moment that's propelling everything and I'm just like Scott Snyder, you're—I <laughs> just don't think that you're able to craft psychological storylines with your characters the way that you're trying to craft them. Which brings me to Justice League of America number one that I pretty much bought because of you, Graham McMillan. I wait, wait, why know. did no? I told you the vibe was good. <laughs> oh, you did? Maybe I wasn't paying attention. I was like, he couldn't meant vibe. I, I picked up Justice League of America. Yeah, no, I picked up. No, Justice no, League really. Of I was the one saying vibe was good. Really? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I. It sort of sounded like from your blog ad entry that they were all kind of like. Oh, I, I, that's true. Actually, I think Justice League of America is better than it could have been, and it's definitely if you're interested in the continuity. Mm-hmm. It's great from that angle, in that it's actually remembering that some things have happened. Yeah, like, do you want to fill me in on that? Because I kind of read it, and I was sort of like... You're like, like, what the fuck is happening? 
Well, uh, it's all yeah. in the discussion between uh, newly thin Amanda Waller and generic frowning Steve Trevor. Yeah, newly Rick Flagized Rick Trevor. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. You're Steve totally Trevor. right. Yeah. Um, although I have to say, I am not a fan of David Finch's art mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. I really like his Hawkman. Oh yeah, honestly, the, the, the that ha- page of Hawkman is fucking great. The the two or three pages of Hawkman were actually my favorite part in the whole issue because it really is just one of those weird like. <laughs> You know, like I haven't been paying attention to the Hawkman book at all. But if the point of the book is is that Hawkman seems to insist that all these characters are aliens, even though they deny it, and then he just fucks the shit up out of them and insists that he's like a space cop, even though there's no proof, I'm like, that's kind of insane and awesome, you know? I have to admit, I'm kind of wondering where exactly the Hawkman book and the Catwoman book and for that matter, the Katana book and Katana's appearances in Bird Spray actually fall within continuity because I'm pretty sure that's a massive new read on Hawkman and Katana. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I've not read Hawkman since issue six. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I, I read the first collection. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I, well, I got it from the library. It was free. Um, <laughs> and basically, I was, I was curious enough by the first storyline and mm-hmm. then like I read enough of it and I was like oh I'm not curious anymore <laughs> it's terrible um, but no like the Hogman stuff I thought was great mm-hmm. like the idea of the Hogman is kind of just nuts yeah it's really great I actually like the Katana uh, run that she's an assassin who is haunted by her former husband as opposed to just like I think originally she was like a businesswoman who just happened to have a massive sword yeah that was haunted by her former husband uh but no, it, it's uh, in the Booster Golds has disappeared, and but we're actually looking for him. And, mm-hmm. you know, things actually... The Justice League International Annual, where, like, a lot of shit happened, mm-hmm. came out, like, let's say seven or eight months ago now, mm-hmm. and was quite clearly setting up stuff that no one has ever mentioned since. <laughs> and suddenly gets mentioned again. And right. I was like, oh... See, so, someone actually remembered these things happened. Right. Well, so, I, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the thing that sort of drives me nuts is, is like, I did read the first issue of Justice League of America, and despite it having, like, the world's clumsiest structure, you know, on it, I still was like, you know, Johns has, like, it's kind of that thing of, like, he's got, you know, a half a dozen ideas in a way that are sort of like, huh, you know, I hate to say this, I'm... I'm interested in this he, new 52, you know. He makes it work. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way that so many writers in the new 52 cannot. Yeah. He really makes the, it's kind of what you think, but it's not what you think. But you're curious enough about the way that it's not. Yes, exactly. That you might want to read further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, I'm probably going to keep reading the book. I'm mm-hmm. intrigued enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm going to keep reading. However, Vibe... Yes. It's just downright good. Right, which you had said. It's just genuinely good. Wow. Um, and what's really interesting is seeing Johns do something that he really hasn't done for a while, mm-hmm. which is start from scratch mm-hmm. and do a really good first issue where he introduces the characters, he explains the setup for the book, mm-hmm. and he gives an origin story. Mm-hmm. All in 20 pages, it's all clear, and you're like, this is this is a reasonable setup for a series. This mm-hmm. is a good idea. Mm-hmm. So the idea is, 
vibe, and you don't really get this from the Justice League issue, which is kind of a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, vibes, bro- vibe, and his two brothers mm-hmm. were present when the first boom tube appeared on Earth. Right, the very first one, and Vibe was actually caught in the middle of the boom tube, mm-hmm. as in it went through him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and kind of fucked him up. It mm-hmm. fucked him up in so in the way that he's no longer in sync with reality. Mm-hmm. It's the old Flash thing where he's out of uh, vibrational sync. Right. But he is in sync with other realities. You know, it's weird because they jam. I think they jam most of that into one tiny uh, or very big uh, Amanda Waller word balloon. Because I think that that's. I mean, I know that you've explained the setup for Vibe before to me, so that when I was reading it in the book, but I would swear that. I, I'm looking right now and seeing if they mention it. Because it um, appears for like two panels. Yeah, it's like. Let's see. No, no, yeah, it, it, it's actually there. Mm-hmm. Cisco was caught in the event horizon of a power demon's boom tube during Darkseid's invasion five years ago. One of his brothers died pulling him free since then. Sis- Cisco, can I just say Cisco is also such a weird name? It is, isn't it really? It's kind I, of like... Especially because that, was not, that wasn't his name before. Oh, really? Like as a retcon? Yeah, mm-hmm. he used to be Paco, and now he's Cisco. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, anyway, since then he's been out of sync with the world. What the vibe series does is he gets hired by Amanda Waller's like DC Shield whatever it's called right um, to be an alien detector right right uh, because Detroit being the place the first boom tube appeared mm-hmm. is now we- like it's vibrational walls are weakened with our other dimensions right and so they are at point like ground zero of any weirdness comes through Detroit mm-hmm and so they've hired this guy basically to vibrate the fuck out of himself <laughs> if anything is close by, which is kind of a cute idea. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. No. I. I. Uh, but. But on top of the idea, you're actually saying that the execution was. The execution related. is. The execution is there. Um, it helps that it's one of those things. It's. I find myself liking it so much because it seems weirdly old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Everything just seems very professional. Mm-hmm. And competent in a way that, I, you know, I feel that it's not the case in so many co- uh, superhero comics these days. Oh, man. Especially DC's comics. I mean, not that I'm, like, Marvel is a whole other bag of crazed cats, admittedly. It, it helps that maybe the only two com- Marvel comics I read uh, this week I found myself enjoying a lot, surprisingly. Um, and the fact is, sadly, there are so many of my special web of contacts who were like, hey, I hope you don't mind, but I'm dropping Hickman's Avengers. <laughs> like, like originally, I was getting, like, codes from, like, three different people, and everyone's like, no, I'm a, I can't, no. Hey, so did you read the new issue? No, I didn't. I did. Yes. Uh, in part because I thought you would, and we'd be talking about it. <laughs> but also because I feel like you were really positive about this, the last couple of issues. Was I? Or not positive, but more co- positive than I was about the issue before that, I guess. Oh, I see. Right. Um, and because this is the new universe issue. This is the, the opening of the new universe. Oh, no wonder why you'd right. be all into this. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's one of those comics. I can totally see why the people who like John Hankman are going to like it. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't give me enough of anything I was looking for. Yeah. Um, I, I saw the strings far too much, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. The execution is... is uh, and I keep saying this about Hickman, and maybe it does have a bias that I'm blind to in Morrison or, or others. But I really feel like I'm, go, I'm seeing him go, and now I've got to get from point A to point B. So this happens. Right. 
Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's the start of the new universe arc. It's the sort of this is who Captain Universe is, mm-hmm. uh, and Captain Universe, going by these the issues that I've read of the series, is the Deus Ex Machina character. <laughs> well, yeah, right. As, not, right. Not only does she appear in the in third issue out of nowhere, and she basically like talks the bad guys into surrendering, mm-hmm. but then this issue. She appears and is like, "Oh, that untranslatable language! I can understand it, and I'll translate it for you." Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, I feel really—I found myself going, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> when I was reading it, and then thought, eh, "You know, Morrison did the Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Crazy Jane was essentially the same character in Doom Patrol." Yeah, you know the. Here's something that no one can solve. Luckily, one of Crazy Jane's 64 personalities just happens to be a specialist in this. Right. Right. Um, but I don't know. I found it charming there in a way that I don't find it charming. Now, did I misunderstand? Did you... Are you... Did you... Is Captain Universe tied to the new universe? Or am I just... Did I mishear Captain, that? Captain... No, Captain Universe uh, is tied insofar as she understands the language. Uh-huh. Uh, but beyond that, you don't know yet. Okay, but when you say new universe, you don't mean Marvel's new universe. Yes, I do. Really? Tell me how. Uh, do you remember Adam, the character who was born at the end of the first arc? Yes. And he was talking a crazy alien language? Yes. It turns out he's Nightmask from the new universe. And what he is telling people when mm-hmm. they understand him is that the white event which is the thing that gave everyone the new universe their powers, right? has come to the Marvel Universe. Uh, I see. I see. Interesting. And, and that's the cliffhanger. Ah, okay. Oh, so you find that out at the very end? The very end. Oh, well, come on. I mean, that's the other thing, is it's just all like the classic joke, like, the food's so terrible, and such small portions. But, you know, I just really, there is that level of, like, Really? You got to get to the end to to get. Oh yeah, that? yeah. But before uh. that, you have uh, a comedy scene where Superior Spider-Man shows that he's an asshole uh, to Cannonball and Sunspot, mm-hmm. and then he goes to complain about Iron to Iron Man about them. And at no point is anyone like, "You don't even sound like yourself, Spider-Man." <laughs> <laughs> like they're all like, "That guy's an asshole," and at no point is anyone like, "He really, really isn't like himself." Yeah, exactly. Like, he's, he's completely different. Yeah. Uh, so different, something might be up. I don't, I don't, I'm not right. saying we know people who can possess people or anything. Right, exactly. <laughs> We're not talking about a universe where impossible things happen all the time, but I guess he just sort of preferred using Craven Idiot as his go-to, like, put-down for people. Like, and... There might even there might even be a line where someone's like, I know you've turned over a new leaf. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe I'm... I'm... Yeah, be... no, looking at it, there's not. There's not even that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just uh, I don't know. It's just again, I'm reading it and I can see why the people who like Jonathan Hickman mm-hmm. will be able to point to this as an example of why Jonathan Hickman does good work. Mm-hmm. But I am I just I don't know if it's that I don't see it or that I don't agree. Right. One way or another, I thought it was it was it was the issue that I was like, yeah, I'm I'm really not. This is not working for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, no, I 
the previous issue had was the one where the two done in ones both uh I think I remember being like a little more like huh Hyperion's got this thing where it's like it feels like it's like there but it's not quite there for me but I feel like it's going to be there and then the next issue which was the you know the whole super guardian thing I I was just like which had some like clever bits in it. It really did. That was the one where there were bits and pieces of. Did you read that issue or no? No. no. Okay. So it's basically a, a, um, an origin issue of of. I think it's. Geez, I want to say Super Guardian. Maybe I'm wrong. It's some other. Maybe it's. Uh, it's a Smasher. Is it? Is it? I could. God. It's you know. Basically, she ends up being. Um, it turns out that she she gets these she gets these goggles that allow her to become a member of the um, Imperial Guard. You know, she's like a member of the Imperial Guard force, which suddenly allows you, like, whoever... It's, like, very Green Lantern-y, except there's a, a slightly... Like, if if Green Lantern's ring was more of an iPhone kind of thing, like, she's got these super goggles that allow her to, like, after she's defeated a menace, they're sort of like, you now have access to super guardian powers. Do you wish to download the upgrade now? You know, which I thought was kind of clever. I sort of like the idea of, like, a, a somebody who's who gets their powers in a, a slightly more... Um, modern tech kind of way but the whole thing where she's running around with the imperial guard and it's like you will never be accepted as a member of the imperial guard because you're an earthling and then like 10 pages later you have been accepted as a member of the imperial guard you know and it's I was, ugh, even know. though you're an earthling yeah pretty much pretty much is just about just that cut and pasty and i was just i was so underwhelmed like honestly the thing is is again I'm a little bit at the mercy of the elements in the the people who send me the the codes for the books. I will read the books, um, more or less. Um, And like I said, three people in a row were just like, yeah, I'm jumping off Hickman. I just hope you're okay with that. And I'm like, sure, yeah, I don't mind. So so it makes it sound like I had a little more, like, power or principle that I did. Like, if someone had offered me the code for six, I probably would have read it. But... So wait, so what were the issues that you did read? I read the fifth issue of Thor, which looked fucking phenomenally lovely. I mean, just really, like, the previous issues I thought were great, but sort of in that same way that I'm just like, when I start babbling about Jerome Opinia and just, like, how fantastic his work is, like, this issue of Thor, and is it, I should jump to the beginning and see if it's uh, Reback or not. Um, although I'm sure it is, like, oh, and the app crashes. Um, just, just lovely. Like, and and it's Aaron has been building to this point um, in the storyline for a while, where the the three you finally find out what the hell is happening with the God Destroyer and Thor, and what their beef is, and pretty more, mostly what the God Destroyer looks like, and it's kind of. Um, you know, it's it's not subtle. It is not subtle. Yeah, Isad Rebeck did the the art on it, and it is just, it is, boy, it's so pretty. The other thing is, is there's something about reading this in the other book that I read digitally where I'm just like, things just are glowy. Like, they seem to have hit the sweet spot. Like, I'm not sure how this son of a bitch actually looks in print because it's mm-hmm. just such a great thing of, like, 
glowing stuff and dark stuff and the the subtle colorations that you're getting actually like make the because frankly the god destroyer looks really generic for the most part he's like a really goddamn dull looking villain design wise but throw in the color and the degree of artiness to it and it's they're just phenom it's a phenomenally lovely issue and Aaron really has this kind of real interesting take on the god destroyer you know because you're encountering him in sort of three different eras when you when Thor first encounters him basically the god destroyer is like hey you know what people always like pray to gods and what do gods do they do nothing and i'm just going to wipe them out um because that's really the best for mankind overall uh, not mankind but basically intel- intelligent sentient species exactly so the the vikings that thor has been partying with who end up um he goes into the cave that the the god destroyer has been lurking in gets captured gets tortured and basically a group of vikings come in and are like what the fuck are you doing to thor we're gonna fuck you up and the god destroyer is like no 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 i'm doing this for you guys like it was kind of a nice little moment you know it's kind of that nice little sort of marvel villainy like wait no but i'm helping you guys this is what you this is a good thing and of course they totally like you know they're like vikings so they're like stab his eyes go for his eyes you know kind of thing <laughs> and um and then thor breaks free and there's more shenanigans of course and it doesn't it doesn't wrap up but it was it was a pretty issue i mean i i couldn't as a done in one i think if i picked it makes no sense like if i just hadn't read at least three of the previous four issues um i wouldn't have been able to make heads or tails out of it other than i would have been going god damn this looks lovely but um and then the flip side which is an even guiltier pleasure was someone provided me the code of the first issue of nova and i was just like uh jesus okay i've heard really good things about Nova. it was really good like i'm not not great but you know but there's but like times... good pop comics right yeah, like yeah basically yeah. like you expect from jeff loeb and ed mcginnis but yeah. only when loeb is working with ed mcginnis exactly when jeff loeb is working with ed mcginnis he's kind of like okay okay i'll show up i'll show up for work and jeff loeb shows up for work it is fun it's goofy it's too it's way too on the nose like there's guardian of the galaxies cameos that are like jammed in there um, there's parts that are just like a little too sickly sweet and frankly um, uh, Loeb should be cutting a relatively substantial check to uh, Giffen and John Rogers uh, for their Blue Beetle but that all of uh, all of that aside um, it was it was a fun book it felt like a, a first issue that like literally was substantial enough like by the time you get to the i mean admittedly it's kind of big i guess it's like 24 pages which is much bigger than your average um marvel book these days or big two book but um it was just it was fun it looked and again in the the coloring on it just looked gorgeous because digitally they just push the vibrancy of it so it's kind of very much a like if you wanted to read the first issue of a Nova comic that was kind of like like watching the first 15 minutes of a Pixar movie, you know, like this this is that book. Um and uh it just 
it was it was good even even the parts that were just super super goofy um really ended up working i was really very surprised that i enjoyed it so yeah believe it or not i that is that is a book that is the last book that i figured that i would end up recommending cuz there was something that i had seen i think the the little jeff Loeb, ed McGinnis short in the marvel point 1 from like 2 years ago or whatever the start of the a versus x thing or something you know where and i just thought that that was just like a can of crap um but this was this was at least a can of really enjoyable crap i really i think you would dig it actually graham <laughs> god no i'm here Duh! why do you do that to me uh, because apparently I also hit the mute button. It's not the day, Jeff. Um, what I just said was, I'm going to recommend another Marvel book for you. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I'm going to recommend the latest Daredevil. Ah, well, it's great. It is, God, issue 23. Uh-huh. Issue 23 is, I believe, the first Marvel Now issue, or mm-hmm. the first issue that has the red band. It actually doesn't have the Marvel Now branding. Uh-huh. Um, and it is definitely a like, and here's a jumping on point for new readers, mm. and it's great. Yeah, it's just, it's Mark Wade going. I'm gonna give you the origin of the character in like the first five pages, but then I'm gonna turn it on its head. And by the way, Chris Samney is going to bring his work to a whole new fucking level. Wow. And Chris Samney is normally kind of fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his work on this issue is outstanding. Mm. And he really gets to show off as well, which is nice. Mm. So you get lots of like, here's Daredevil standing on top of a building. Here's Daredevil swinging between things. Here's Daredevil hunting down the bad guys. <laughs> it's, you know, really sort of classic things. Right. Samney just does it in such a way that it just feels so right. Mm. Mm. Um, it is just a perfect superhero comic wow it really is it's so so good and it's normally a great comic mm-hmm. but this this is the best issue of the series yet as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's just amazing amazing work hmm. really just great stuff and fascinating to me because wade's hulk mm-hmm. just doesn't work mm-hmm. in the same way that like his daredevil does mm-hmm and I wonder how much of both are down to the artists. Probably a chunk. I mean, you said that you felt that the the art on The Incredible Hulk has been meh. But, I mean, I read those first three issues and I I was really relieved that no one sent me the code for the fourth. Let's put it that way. You know? Like, I just don't think... I think, you know, there's times where Wade is like, no, I've got a take on it. No, I've got a great take on it. No, I've got a really, really great take on it. And I don't, I don't, you know, honestly, I find myself kind of wishing that Wade was going to end up on Iron Man. I don't know, you know? You're like, I know, I'm, I'm still liking Kieran and Iron Man. I, I would like to keep him in Iron Man and, and let Mark, uh, you know, if I had my brother, I'd still send Mark back to DC and be like, please save Superman. Right. Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> so have you been reading this, like, Hell on Earth thing or any of that stuff? I, that... Read, I read, like, a, a significant chunk of it. Mm-hmm. Uh DC has this weird thing where, like, if a storyline's starting and they really want to play up the storyline, they'll send you the issues, like, all of the issues, not just the first issue. Right. Uh, and then they do this hilarious thing where they'll stop sending issues, and you're like, okay, I guess they're only sending me, like, the first month's worth of issues. Right. And then they'll be like, okay, here's part seven. 
we didn't send you parts four, five, and six, but mm-hmm. here's part seven. Mm-hmm. You know, because hopefully you've been buying the other issues. Right. Here's part. Here's part eleven. Um, and so yeah, I read. I read like the opening of it, and mm-hmm. then I've read like pieces since. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's totally generic. <laughs> is it? Is it completely as? Sort it of... is. It is exactly the Scott Lobdell comic you would expect. Um, it... The the problem for me is I think Lobdell's writing, or at least his early Superman writing, mm-hmm. uh, worked when he was going, "Hey, it's Clark," mm-hmm. and then Hell and Earth is very much it's Superman and he's dealing with Krypton and you know Krypton lots of Krypton stuff Krypton <laughs> is, and, is there and is there anything new there I hate to be interrupt but there's part of me that's just so obsessed with like okay is did, anything to find new well I guess because you know they just keep bringing people back from Krypton like it seems like it's happening like before the new 52 reboot had happened you know, well, once a, a year for like, like a year long event. Yeah, yeah. That was, they bought back like all of Krypton essentially. Right, right. but uh, even so, before that, they had done the uh, like, oh, and so and so's back, but he's from Krypton, you know, kind of thing. So, like, is does this do anything new in a way, or is this just very much uh, kind of like stuck in the rut doing exactly the same it's story? It's pretty much just stuck in the rut. Okay. The plot is this character who is called Hell. Mm-hmm. I Point out if your character is called Hell, that's a pretty fucking good hint that yeah. he's not a good guy. Has come to Earth through mm-hmm. nefarious reasons, mm-hmm. um, and in the zero issue of I think Supergirl, but I could be wrong. Um, you get to see him, and it turns out he's a clone, mm. and he is one of the last clones on Krypton because the clones had uh, an uprising. Uh huh. Krypton was really big on cloning, and then clones had a planet of the apes style uprising, and <laughs> were, and were wiped out and were killed. Oh, wow! So Hell comes to Crypt to Earth mm-hmm. and manages to convince Supergirl that he can bring Krypton back to life, and Superman is not convinced, and then Hell's like, and if I kill Superboy then everything will be better because he's like a fake Kryptonian and that's offensive to me. Uh, and then at some point, like, Superboy joins up with Superman and the Justice League, but Hell's taken over the Fortress of Solitudes or something. Like, this is the part where issues, like, I didn't... I got random issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere new or interesting. Right. Right. Let me ask you, why exactly would a clone be offended by uh, what a real Kryptonian is anyway? Because he's pretending to be like a real Kryptonian. Oh, I see. So he's, he's not. The, he did, he did uh, show up and was like, I'm a clone. He showed up and he's like, I am terribly scarred and painful, but I am Kryptonian like you. The two of us were Kryptonian. So Superman, but he's been raised by humans, so it kind of sucks for him. You know? <laughs> it's essentially his, his thing. That's kind of his ploy. Wow. Um... And it's just... It's not good, Jeff. It's not good. <laughs> I, I won't lie to you, Jeff. It's not great. But here's the thing. Before... So, Lobdell actually had, like, two issues before this started. Mm-hmm. Um, where he got to play with Clark. Right. He had a Superman annual, and then he had, like, the... I guess it was a prologue to Hell on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, where he got to play with Clark. And he's the one who did the I'm quitting the Daily Planet. Right. Thing. Um... 
And I would much rather read that. Mm-hmm. I would much rather see what he does with Clark. Mm-hmm. I think when you focus on Superman as like last survivor of Krypton to the exclusion mm-hmm. of Clark, and especially the supporting cast, mm-hmm. uh, he becomes an infinitely less interesting character. Mm-hmm. I think when you own, I think when you place him in the, he's just this guy who has superpowers, and he's fighting for the survival of his race. Mm-hmm. I think that's really ignoring a lot of what makes Superman great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of sad that that was like the first storyline Lobdell went for. Maybe, hopefully, to get it out of the way. Although, <coughs> who knows? I mean, I really feel that they, much like with Death in the Family, which, of course, they had amazing results on sales-wise, um, it really feels like they were like, hey, like I got an ad from Comixology where it's like, hey, check out this Superman event, you know, and it's like they needed a Superbooks event. And and so I think that's the other problem is, is on top of it, it just seems sort of like maybe it's editorially mandated, I guess, you know, like they were like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's editorial mandated or creator mandated. I could also see, for example, Opto being like, I'm going to start this off with a bang. Right. You know, um, but I mean, I feel like it's been go- I feel like it's been going on for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This arc, I feel like this arc is amazingly long, and it and not it's not benefiting the character at all. Right. So we'll we'll see. So uh, uh, you know, we had a request. Um, um, through on Twitter where basically someone was kind of like, hey, I hope you guys talk about the Green Lantern old teams and new teams. I sort of felt like you covered, you know, as you, as listeners know, we had the incredible piece of timing of basically complaining about Jeff Johns and when he was going to leave Green Lantern and basically... And then it turns out he left! <laughs> he apparently hurt us. Um, so I don't know if we want to do a little bit of uh, if you had a through line for that like it, you know they've announced the new Green Lantern teams and I was kind of curious if you had any sort of take on that whatsoever because of uh, course my take was like mm. here's my take on the Green Lantern teams I think the writers are really interesting mm-hmm. I think it shows where DC's head's at in terms of quote unquote new talent mm-hmm um, and I think the choice of writers is actually kind of smart. I think the artists are horrendous. Well, Billy Tan is just not a voice; is not somebody who inspires, I guess. But yeah, it's uh, it's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. It it really is like because here's the thing: the Green Lantern books, as is, as in the current creative lineup, mm-hmm. has an amazing art lineup. Right. Uh, I actually got sent the recent issue of New Guardians, which is the Kyle Rayner book, which I've totally not been keeping up with. Right. And it's, it's a guy called Aaron Cooter who's mm. drawing that. He's fucking great. Yeah. Like, he's really, really fucking good. Have you seen... Um, have you read Lock and Key? No, I have not. Uh, have you ever seen Gabriel Hernandez's work? He's the artist in Lock and Key. I don't think I have. First of all, you should read Lock and Key. It's actually a really good book. I uh, uh, disagree. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I picked up an issue of it and I didn't like it. I, I don't... I, I, as we said, I had to read the collection before I got it. Oh, okay. 
that could be it. Because I picked up like an individual issue, and of course I had heard all this other stuff, and I picked it. I, uh, uh, I just I gotta I get. I have this weird situation where everything that I've picked up by Joe Hill, and it has not been a lot, but everything that I picked up, I just have not liked. So I'm. You know, I picked up a couple of books uh, on sale for the Kindle, and I'm like, maybe I'll give those a go next in my current reading go-round, because I, I keep hearing great things about him, and everyone who seems to have any taste at all seems to really like him, but every time... I, so anyway, so I picked up this one issue of Lock and Key, and I'm like, it feels like a, it feels like a Joe Simon book, but not in a good way to me. So I just don't know how to... I don't know how to parse that, so... I'm going to say pick up a collection from right. the library. Okay. And I'm going to suggest you pick up the second collection. Second collection. Alright. You'll be you'll be sort of skipping the origin story but you can pick it all up mm-hmm. relatively because I think the second is an, actually a better introduction than the first. Okay. Um. Anyway, the artist in that book is a guy called Gabriel Hernandez who does a really nice he's got a really nice sort of chunky art style. Mm-hmm. It's a way to describe it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Aaron Cooter has that to him, mm-hmm. but it's like that mixed with Chris Burnham mixed with Frank Quitely. Wow. Yeah, which makes him a really, really weird, kind of a weird choice, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. A superhero book for a Green Lantern book, but it's just, he's great. He's really, really good. I was, I, I was one of those, maybe I should go and pick up back issues because this guy's at work is really good. Wow. Um, but anyway, so the artists, you've got Doug Mankey, you've got this Aaron Cooter guy. Right. Uh, admittedly, the other two books, eh, Fernando Passerin is all right. If you like that kind of thing, he's not an incredibly dynamic artist. Right. Uh, and I couldn't even tell you who's drawing Red Lanterns these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but for at least for Cooter and Mankey, you've got really top-level artists. Mm-hmm. Like some of the best at DC. Right. And I think to replace them with Billy Tan and Alessandro Vitti and, and Brad Walker and... Bernard Chang. Uh, Bernard Chang, yeah. All of whom are capable, with the exception of Billy Tan. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's like a step down visually. Mm-hmm. And I think that... I feel that it's a really bad idea to do that when you're essentially bringing on names that are new and untried for the DC audience. Mm-hmm. I think Robert Venditti is really good. I think his Exo Man of War of Violent has been spectacular. Mm, okay. And I, I think that he'll be a really good choice for Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. But I think pairing him with Billy Tan and not giving him like an A-list artist right. is kind of like, okay, sink or swim, boys. Right. right. The same with uh, Josh Falkoff and Bernard Chang. Mm-hmm. Or, or um, Falkoff's also doing Red Lantern with, with Viti. Yeah. It really is like, you know, the, I think the writers are up to the challenge. Mm-hmm. I think by not giving them better artists, and um, by better, I genuinely just mean better known, mm-hmm. like bigger names. I really think they're kind of making a stupid, stupid decision. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at what Marvel now did really well, mm-hmm. when you had a Sam Humphreys or you had a, you know a, a new writer in a book, mm-hmm. you pair them with a name artist. You know, when you get Brian Woods, you also get Olivia Coypel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the way that DC should have approached this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that... I think that it's kind of uh, risky to the point of stupidity doing the teams that they've actually done. Yeah, it it kind of... Unfortunately, which is not fair to these people, is I looked at that list of, of names and Venditti's name had not stuck. Uh, and I've heard 
good enough things about Joshua uh, Fiklov, Fiklov, but I just kind of went, huh? So it felt like kind of like, oh, oh, so, okay, we're big. we're abandoning the franchise, you know, kind of in this weird like, huh? They really, I honestly thought if you were going to like get rid of Jeff Johns, you were going to put in a big name. You know what I mean? Like, you well, know, who is the big name of DC now that isn't Johns or Snyder? It's pretty much Johns and Snyder these days. Yeah, but... that's the thing. Like, maybe Jeff Lemire. Yeah, Lemire seems to be a big name, but like, uh, you know, there's. But, but this... other than that, like, they don't have a they don't have a deep bench. Well, at no, all. they don't have. I, a deep I think bench. that's a real problem for DC. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like Brad Meltzer. You know, if they were bringing back Meltzer, like, it, it, you know, that whole Batman Superman swerve, I thought was really fascinating. Like to oh, I, be I, say, I think the Batman Superman team is great. I think it's a really, really smart choice. Really, with Pack and Shai Lee. Yeah, I think it's a great choice. Hmm. Interesting. I think they're both names that are known enough to have name recognition, mm-hmm. but off off model enough. Yeah, they're they're certainly to, off model, but I to think make you think, huh? Maybe I'll want to check that out, which is all they really need to do with that book. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I, I suppose you're right. Like, I'm sort of like, I would have preferred, like, I think they would have been better served by having big names and and that off-model factor, you know, but... But if they don't have big names, that's the thing. Well, they don't. They really don't. So. But th- that's what I mean about the choice of writers. I think the choice of writers really shows what they're doing, which is DC is... Uh, for better or worse, trying to grow a team mm-hmm. of writers now, trying to grow a stable, uh-huh. and they're doing it by picking image creators for the most part. Yeah, you know, so you've got Justin Jordan in there, you've got Josh Vilkoff in there, you've got uh, Alice Coat taking over Suicide Squad, which I think is a great choice. I'm surprised by how excited I am about that. Really interesting. Yeah, okay. I, I, after I saw it, I was like, that is spectacular on so many levels. Hmm. Uh, and in a sort of weird way, I think it's great for um, Suicide Squad because it brings in a writer who's probably going to press lots of completely random batshit buttons. Yeah, probably. And I think it's great for Alice Coat because I think it's going to give him a structure to play against. Right. Right, as opposed restric- to kind of I what he's been doing. Yeah, I think the restrictions are going to be really good for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think I really think it's a win-win. I think again, if you give him a good artist, mm-hmm. that could be one of those books that is just going to be spectacular. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that that's what DC is doing. DC is quite clearly like, well, we can't have the big name writers because you know, a we're going to piss them off, mm-hmm. and b we can't afford them. Right. So we're going to go. We're going to try and build our own mid-level. They're like, look, Jeff Lemire's worked out. Yeah, Jeff Lemire's worked out, but look at all the people who they were like, oh, yeah, we sort of canned you without bothering to tell you, you know? Yeah, that's that's the concern. Yeah. The concern is really, are can they do it? Yeah, to build a bench, you've got to build, a, build relationships, and the relationship yeah. means more than treating the person like they're a fucking disposable widget. Yeah, that I mean, that's really, that's the can DC... Can can basically they shut their mouths? Yeah, yeah. Can they shut their mouths and just let the people do the books? Yeah, just just let well and and also like treat them like human beings. Like be like, hey, you know, I wanted to let you know you're not coming to the creative summit 
because you know we're going with it. Turns out you're not actually working for us. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I. So what did you think of the the Dantidio apologizes story? I thought, well, I thought it was a huge step in the right direction. Like if that's out there, the idea that he's like apologizing and Diane Nelson's like standing right next to him, going, "Yeah, that was a mistake, and we're going to work on this." That's great, as far as I can tell. You know, I mean, the thing that was hard is it's just sort of a um. With, with all due respect, I only read it in the one place, which is Bleeding Cool. And the story so obviously felt like a plant, you know, that I'm like, I would assume that it actually happened. And if it actually happened, I think that is a huge, um, tremendous step. If they, they just have to learn to actually stick to their guns in that regard, you know. Um, and honestly, I think that's what a lot of people wanted. Uh, at least a lot I, of the I people think... currently working, so... I think there's something really interesting going on at DC right now, mm-hmm. um, and I can't, I can't say why. Like I don't know why what's making me think this, mm-hmm. um, but I think there is some level of like realizing that they fucked up, if not realizing how they fucked up, right? And wanting to do something about it, even if again they don't know what they've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I sense a weird kind of culpability, <laughs> even if they don't know what's going on. Right. Right. And I think that's a really positive sign. I think so too. If, if it's actually happening. Right. Yeah. If it's if it's actually happening, and I believe that it is, and you know they know it, they sort of and can stick to it. Then yeah, I think that's great. I think that will help start to dig them out of just the doldrums that they've got yeah (laughs) because they're kind of in it they really are kind of in it like they are about at the level where you know all you really need to do is take at this point maybe two three writers off the board and like maybe less than half a dozen artists and and dc is totally like inert you know? If if you wanted to kill DC, if you worked for Marvel and you really just were like, I want to crush them, mm-hmm. you give Jeff Lemire an exclusive contract. Lemire? Are you serious? Yeah. No, yeah. really? Huh. Yeah, because that honestly leaves Scott Snyder and right. Jeff Johns as their big writers. Yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like, If you take out one, the fact is you just won't be able to take out Jeff Johns. But take out Jeff Johns. God help him if he gets hit by a car or something. Like, DC is seriously fucking screwed. And if they're, like, if he's, like, getting a hot pocket uh, with um, Scott Snyder and they both get hit by that car, then, you know, DC is well and truly fucked. Yeah. Jeff Lemire is kind of... He's triage. I I could be entirely (laughs) wrong on that, but I mean, seriously. I really think think you take out Jeff Lemire and you... I think it's small enough that they don't realize that they're dead immediately, mm-hmm. but I think that they're really fucked. Well, could be. Hey, so here's a question. Yes. Oscar Scott Card. Oscar uh, Scott. <laughs> yes, tell me more about Oscar Scott what? Cord. <laughs> Orson even Oscar. My brain is going, Jeff. <laughs> I thought you were doing it to be funny. I'm like, oh, this will be no. awesome. Let's just spend no, 20 no, minutes no. arguing, talking about the Oscar Scott Cord guy. That'd no, be that's the best. Hilarious. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is my brain going. Um, what do you make of this whole thing? Well, you know me, Graham. Like, where something happens, like sign of natural disaster, 
Jeff runs on, you know, runs out into the street and hops onto the bus. Where's the bus headed to? Boycottville, like inevitably, you know, that's where I go. That's my special place. I go to that town. I take in a movie, you know, I like boycott a couple okay. of things. Here's my question. Uh-huh. Did you see the conversation I was having yesterday with Alyssa Rosenberg about the Ender's Game movie? No. She has uh, come out against DC for the... Or, or, I was going to say Oscar again. Or <laughs> Scott. <laughs> I want to call him Oscar, god damn it! The Orson Scott card, uh, Superman comic. Uh-huh. Uh, and DC's hilariously tepid response to the outcry. Yes. Which was hilarious. Yo, God. So, uh, it was remarkable. Yes. Um, and she was like, but they're making an Ender's Game movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Summit, the people who are making an Ender's Game movie, have really, like, they're much better than DC in dealing with this controversy. Here's what they said. And the guy's literally like, well, you just don't take him to Comic-Con. Uh, <laughs> like, it's all about the work, and it's not about the guy. Right. And I was like, that's pretty much what DC said. Like, mm-hmm. DC said it in a much more inept way. Yeah. But it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and then Alyssa was like, yeah, but he's probably, like, he's probably not getting back end points for the Ender's Game movie. And it's not really supporting Orson Scott cards as much if you go and see it as if you buy the comic. What? That's completely weird. Yeah. I mean, that's like the the most backwards form of thinking that I can actually conceive of. The idea that somebody who's getting paid to do a work-for-hire character, boycotting them actually hurts them more than a property in their own name expanding into multimedia is absurd. Like, absolutely. Oh, I wish wish you'd been around, Jester. Yeah, me too. I I actually had to stop tweeting at her because I was like, I feel like I'm bullying her. I feel like I'm just like, right. you have to explain this. This makes no sense to me. You, uh, what? Right. Um, but I had somewhere I was going with that before I just completely went off the rails. Oh, oh uh, yeah. You're right. No, your, boy, your boycott is what yes. I, I... Yeah, yeah, to, my little uh, boycott thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, let me be honest. Are you, are you boycotting the issue? Are you boycotting DC? And for that matter, where are you planning on buying the comic first? Right, exactly. So this is the thing that's all over the map for me, is, is that... I thought, and I I was probably wrong, that I assumed that this was a digital Superman comic, much like DC's Legends of the Dark Knight. It is? Okay. So I sort of assumed the first couple of issues were by Orson Scott Card, um, and then later issues would be like by Jeff Parker and Chris Samney. And I would totally not pick up the Orson Scott card issues, and I probably would pick up the Jeff Parker and Chris Samney issues, you know, at 99 cents a kerplunk. I'd probably do that digitally. I probably wouldn't bother with the print. Um, that is... But is that a boycott, or is that just no No, 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 no. I mean, I'm sort of teasing. I'm, I'm teasing. Like, technically, here's the thing. I fully support people that boycott card because I do think, honest. well, I'm very torn because on the one hand, I read heinous writers and artists. I really do. I'm more likely to boycott a company than I am to boycott an individual, which is weird. But like the way that Marvel treats its employees, 
I find wrong and creepy. And, uh, you know, and of course, people are very quick to, to hop on, you know, and point out all the ways in which my boycott is compromised and inefficient. And, you know, by talking about it on like an Apple computer, I'm, you know, going down to, you know, the level of hell that's for the ethically compromised. And I'm, I'm totally, I see their points in certain ways. I'm also a big fan of like, you draw the line in the sand where you can, and that's what you do. Like if you just keep, you know, if you keep doing it forever, our society is so complex and intertwined and complex. You're just, you're just kind of fucked. There's just never going to be a way that you're going to have your hands clean. You know, you just kind of get to that level of what you feel comfortable with and hopefully make enough noise that it would make enough of a difference. I think that Orson Scott Card is I, I've never bothered to read Ender's Game. I've never picked up any of his books. I probably read the first issue of Ultimate Iron Man when I worked in the comic store because it came out and I found it dull. Um, and so it doesn't it wasn't really going to be a book that I was going to pick up anyway. Let's face it the number of people who were going to pick up a Superman digital comic were so small anyway, and so small for Superman. What Superman sells in the marketplace generally is, my. I think, because you might remember my joke on Twitter, like, there's going to be more people with this boycott not reading Superman than have ever not read Superman before. You know? I like, yeah, I'm just that, like... That's, that's the thing that, like, really gets me about this. It feels like this has become this weird... Like, it's almost transcended... The principle, and it's now turned into here's something else I can beat up DC with. Yeah, I guess. I mean, some people are very have that kind of thing of like, why are you beating up DC with this when Marvel did all these other books? And I, I think there are people who have pointed out that the timeline by which um, Orson Scott Card went from being someone who was exercising his First Amendment rights and saying like, I don't like this, to jumping on to the National Organization for Marriage and actively working to strike down people's rights. I think that, that I'm perfectly like, if it's okay for him to do that, it's perfectly okay for people to boycott his book. But the fact of the matter is, is that most of those boycotters, I really honestly feel are people like me, you know, who would I, not have read it. I wasn't going to read it. And I honestly believe, I do not believe that all the people who are talking about boycotting that book were members of the 30,000 people that were going to buy that book digitally or in the what, print stores. What I would could be, be totally lovely. wrong. Hmm? What would be lovely mm -hmm. is if everyone who doesn't buy the Orson Scott card issue, right. like digital issue, then buys the Jeff Parker one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> to be like, look, we will support your book right? if you don't have this guy on it. As yeah. opposed to, we were never going to buy it and we're not buying it. Yeah. Which doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, I think, and I think that's kind of it. But I mean, so, so I can't really say that I'm, in that sense, I'm actively boycotting it. But, but my first instinct is, yeah, shut this asshole down. And frankly, I think that the other tweet that I had put that I don't think as many people like noticed or retweeted or followed is like DC's already in the process of like canning guys before the first issues get released anyway just do it with this guy you know what I mean like really honestly well do, do you want my cynical response to that uh, you don't really have to give it because I think I know it which is is that he's going to he draws more publicity this way no no, no? my cynical response is this the people who can shit can guys before the first issue is DC Comics in New York. This is a digital comic. It's coming oh. from DC Entertainment on the West Coast. Oh, it's a different company. Eh, 
I, it is a different company, but I'm like, a kill fee is a kill fee. You know? Oh no, I, I like if it was me, mm-hmm. I would have I would have kill feed this like mm-hmm. immediately, and then I would have been like, hey, read Batwoman next week, everyone. Right. Like it, immediately, I I think DC's response is laughable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I I also think the and I I said it myself for I put two and two together. The hey DC's used to shit canning people. Why don't they just do it with this? Like doesn't follow. It is actually a different office. Mm, that's a good point. But. Yeah, but still. <laughs> um, but no, I don't just like over like between seeing people being like, I'm completely against this, but I think that you can go and see Ender's Game movie because it's a different thing. And then today I read someone being like, DC isn't making the most out of this bad woman proposal because they hate the gays. Like really just like, this is what, like we have turned into crazyville. Yeah. Well, because because there's this whole complex thing of like how do I put it? It's very easy to boycott something you don't want and it's very hard to boycott something you do, you know? Yeah, and, you know totally like seeing seeing the double thing for Ender's game is yeah, mind-boggling because really it turns into how can I get this thing that how can I get this thing that I want but shouldn't want and still feel clean? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I there is a little bit of the answer is like, well, you can't. And you really that's what you should at least be argued to, I think, because I really do think that that is absolute bullshit. On the other hand, I do understand. You know the thing that's actually weird is it wasn't the Orson Scott card thing. I think it was the 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 story that a lot of people that that there were creators at DC the whole like found out that they were no longer working for DC basically by asking why they weren't going to the creator summit and found out they were being fired that way sort of like I totally didn't see that sorry was that on bleeding cool yeah it was on bleeding cool a couple of weeks ago whereas like that's how people found out that they weren't they weren't in DCs they actually inquired like wow. <laughs> why didn't I know about this creative summit like that was the part where I went you know what I'm done I'm done with DC I really I was like fuck it I fuck it and, you know, I had that horrible, horrible feeling of, like, you know, sitting there going, but Jesus, but I kind of want to, I want to keep, I, I want my Batman books. Like, it was really weird. I'm like, I so much, you that's, know. That's kind of fascinating to me, because I always would have thought that you're more of a Marvel guy. I am more of a Marvel but, guy. Yeah, exactly. But, so how did you, how were you able to be like, I'm giving up Marvel. Right. And, and you can't do DC. That is a really good question. I don't. I, I'm not quite sure. I think part of me is is that hmm, were you is so much of a Marvel guy that your your sense of betrayal was stronger? That's what I think it is. I think it, that's what I think it is. And also with that sort of with all of that gone, there's kind of this weird part of like I don't I don't want to give up my Batman. You know, like it's my it's my last little guilty pleasure that I'm actually you know feeling very guilty about. You know. Hey, um, <laughs> Keep reading uh, Snyder and Capullo; they'll make you give up Batman sooner. Well, exactly. Later. Well, but that's the thing. There's so many. Fu- there's so much fucking Batman out there. Like, I mean, it was that. I think I told you like two or three weeks ago. I was like, oh, I should pick up another Batman. I should pick up another DC title so that we would have you and I would have something to talk about because I felt like because of all the free Marvel issues, like. I was even after boycotting Marvel because people you were reading books. so much more Marvel. Yeah. Well, exactly the DC, and I'm like, that is just that's not that's not great. Like I got to figure out a way to to do that, you know, change that up. So I was at this was not this visit. This was like two or three visits ago. I was like, okay, I'll pick something up, and I swear to God, I almost picked up another Batman book, and I was like, 
that's not a solution. You know what I mean? Like, I just wasn't. But I'm at a stage in my life where I'm really, like, the the Batman is this weird guilty pleasure that I don't want to give up, despite the fact that he never meant a tenth as much to me as Spider-Man, much less like Marvel's absurdly deep rack of like, he probably never meant as much to me as Man-Thing, but at a certain point like, I've got, it's like, I just it's like that weird, like, I gave up everything else, but I'm having a real tough time giving up the occasional cigarette, you know um, so I understand I do understand, like, the, the the way to like, okay, but how do I get to this, to to rationalize the part in my head that it's okay. And I know there's people listening to this that are going to laugh because they honestly think that I, uh, they b- believe correctly or incorrectly that I've already done that with the various levels of the things that I'm, you know, that I am indulging myself in, whether that's the, the Apple computer or whatever. Like, because the answers that I gave them, they just, no one ever responds to. And I'm like, oh, I thought that was a good point. And in fact, they're just like, no, you're just you're too silly to respond to. And that may be the case with DC. I don't know. You know, I don't, I may get there, but I do understand when I sat there going like, oh fuck, I don't want to give that up. And so like Ender's Game means nothing to me. I never read it. There was a period where it seemed like every person in San Francisco Bay Area had read it and loved it. And I can understand those people being like, oh, but I've got to see this on screen. Like, I've wanted to see this on screen since I first read the book when I was 12 and I'm 34 now, you know? And it's like, and the people who are saying that are saying that even while they know that they are supporting, like, you know, but yeah, it's silly to think that Card is not going to, you know, is is going to be benefiting less for, from a movie based on his book that's part of a trilogy than he is like a one shot, you know, digital story oh, the work for hire company. Co writing. Oh, is he co writing the movie too? Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. He's co writing the one shot. Oh, he's co writing the one shot. Okay. Yeah. So he's. In other words, like, you know, else. the other guy's probably doing all the work. Right. Exactly. Like, what if Superman, like, flies down somewhere? <laughs> Keep going. I actually want to, I actually want to hear. <laughs> No, 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 that was the end of it. That's all he's going to Oh, do. okay. All right. I was kind of hoping. I know it was too much to hope like, for. What if Superman flies out somewhere and kills a gay? <laughs> See, I was kind of hoping you were going there. <laughs> and the other guy's like, I don't think we could do that. Right. I, don't, I, don't, I really, I, that's not going to work for me. I, I think they might have trouble with it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, well, just sort of, you know, work from something from that basic idea, you know? Like... You know, or maybe Superman, he's got his X-ray vision, but what if it gives people cancer? Like X-rays can give people cancer, but it's gays. You know? Exactly. <laughs> the funny thing was, so I, funny and not funny and like horrific at the same time. So I've known Orson Scott Card is a terrible, terrible bigot, right? right. I, mm-hmm. I like this is not a secret. He has not kept us quiet. No, and again, that's the thing. Like when people are like, why Marvel and not DC? Like, I remember around the time of that first uh, Ultimate Iron Man thing, it was kind of coming out, you know? Like, it was oh, still no. news. Here's the thing. It was known before that. Like, in the 90s, he's on record as supposing, as trying to get gay sex outlawed in Utah. Uh, yeah, in but I don't, 90- feel, I don't feel like that that was easily and widely known. I could be wrong. But, I mean, you know, I heard about it then, and I was like, okay, I don't want to know anything about this guy. But... I do feel like he's anyway. So please, he continue. stepped it up. Well, yeah. the other thing is like he did step it up because he joined. Um, what's yeah, it called? The National... The, the National Organization for Marriage. Nom. Marriage. Is that what that is? Um, yeah. No, I, yeah, it is Nom, which I love. Yeah. Um, 
But like he did that in 2009, and Marvel kept publishing his comics through 2012. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no one was like, "What?" They were just like, "Hey, Ender's Game, awesome!" Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, like they're like they're really just a, a, a weird double standard thing going on mm-hmm. for me. But I totally understand that no one else will see that. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh, I, I don't. I don't buy the it's Superman, therefore it's different thing at all. I don't. I don't buy that either, actually. But I do think that but, there but is I, something I, that's I, like if because I think. Well, I could be wrong, but again, I was paying not paying attention. Didn't realize Marvel was still publishing them to through through 2012. I thought the big thing was well, a they weren't really selling, and b I also got the impression that it was a. Um, just contractual, like the, the, oh no, Ender, their really Ender game comics like... went on for fucking ever. Oh, see, and I was not paying attention at all. I was I, like, I, here's the thing: I don't think anyone was buying them, but they went on for fucking ever. Like, there's right. like seven different minis or something. Really, no shit. Yeah, wow. Oof. I learned there's like all new stuff. Mm-hmm. Orson's card pl- plotted. Wow, really? Yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm gonna say, before I say this and get in trouble, I'm going to research. I was gonna say, I think Anthony Johnson actually wrote one. Wow. Yeah, see, I had that moment of like, hey, who wrote those Ender's Game adaptations? Because I'm sure it wasn't all card, so... No, it's uh, not. Like, the guy who's co-writing the DC story it was the co-writer for the majority of it. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. Tell me who wrote your comics. Uh, Chris, Chris Yost. Yost. Mike Carey. Yes. Ooh, Aaron, Aaron Johnston, I think. Aaron Johnston is the guy who's doing the... the the, um, okay, so you're the getting him confused with Anthony Johnson. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And a guy called Jake Black, whoever Jake Black is. Yeah, that's an amazing name, isn't it? Jake Black uh, is apparently a cartoon writer. Huh. And he's done a lot of stuff for DC. Super Google. Uh, yes, anyway, so I'm sorry. Jordan White? Jordan, Jordan White? White? Jordan White is a, D, is a former Marvel editor. Huh. Who has edited like holy shit so much Marvel so many Marvel comics? <laughs> he's, he's edited a lot of Marvel comics apparently. Wow. Um, there's Jake Black again. Who did this one? Aaron Yeah, Arson Scott Card and Aaron Johnson. It's Aaron Johnson is the guy he's he's co-writing this with. Mm-hmm. And Chris, Chris Yost and Mike Carey. Yeah. So I mean, you know, big name writers. Yeah. And, those are like you know published 2010, and he joined Norm in 2009, and right. no one was no one then was like, listen. Yeah, no, that's true. I've got a problem. Right. It's so weird. Like it's really weird. It honestly feels like people wanted to be outraged, and this fit in with their current like outrage at DC. But the other thing that makes that amuses me is the people who are like this. You know, this is this is the end of for DC and it's like if before Watchmen didn't destroy DC oh yeah absolutely like, that's DC also is completely fine. silly like before Watchmen it's silly. so much worse yeah 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 yeah. no completely like the DC at this point could pretty much get away with like hey we come read our four issues <laughs> miniseries we're going to burn Len Wein at the stake uh, in which it's a comic book that recounts the time that we went to the creative summit and burned Len Wein at the stake you know, and everybody would be like, mm, no one's heard from him lately. Then, you know? <laughs> thank you for backing me on this theory, Graham. I totally. He's so very quiet. I mean, he, he, you know. Well, he was well, cause ooh, yeah, he was a little too much, a little too like out there. I felt with his like how he got pegged as the. You know what? We need you to be the staunch before Watchmen defender. Be sure to say lots of crap about 
you know, Alan Moore. Yeah, Alan Moore was a hack. Yeah. Did you, you hear the Nerdist Writers podcast he did with uh, Ed Brubaker? No, but I always oh, wanted to because it sounded... so great. Yeah. Because at one point, he really does call Alan Moore a hack. Like, he doesn't say those exact words, but it's pretty much mm-hmm. like... Alan Moore just stole this idea and stole this idea and doesn't come up with anything of his own. And then Rubicker just cracks up laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to hear that because the idea of actually Ed, Ed being there on that podcast with, with him just would be uh, amazing. So it's, it's, yeah, it's everything you want. And also, the, uh, the Nerd Writers podcast is now doing a spin off for comics. Oh, are they? Jesus Christ. Yeah, they've, they've just done an episode. Uh, like of the nearest writers thing, and they're like, it's a backdoor pilot for a comics one, and so it's Len Wein again, huh. um, Adam Beechin, uh-huh. uh huh, and some guy who's doing like a the direct to DVD DC Comics movies. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and it, it, it's it's very interesting, but yeah, uh, Len Wein is has clearly decided that he's not going to be backwards and coming forwards when it comes to claiming credit for anything anymore. Well, you know. I know, to be fair, he's done a lot of work and he's created a lot of characters. Well, I was about to say, you know, it's it's just, again, I, that's one of those things where I'm just like, I, there's just a horrible irony of that. Because I'm like, you know, because he should have gotten paid for Wolverine. And I, I assume that probably those words or have crossed his thing. lips. Or Swamp Thing. Well, but in theory, he sees money for Swamp Thing, you know? Uh, I guess. Does I, he? I, I, I was going to say, does he not see money for Wolverine? And then I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> Did I he mean, the Punisher? Uh, no, you're thinking of Jerry, Jerry Conway. Conway. Yeah, yeah, Conway's very... And Conway oh, is hilarious about that. Cause he I have will... to tell you, mm-hmm. talking about Conway, my favorite part of Vibe, to yes. go back for a second, uh, Jerry Conway is credited as the co-creator of the character in the, the credits, which uh-huh. is great. He's co-created with the wrong artist. Oh no, really? Wow. Yes, they're like five created by Jerry Conway, Luke McDonald, and it's not Luke McDonald. Oh man, really? Luke McDonald McDonald's wasn't doing the artist that first issue? who drew the death of Vibe. <laughs> oh man, but maybe it's one of those weird things where he like co-drew him like as an in-house kind of thing, you know? Uh, it, if that's the case, that's the first time that's ever come out. Right. I, I I'm fairly right. sure, like, previously the record has been that it was Chuck Patton. Right. right. Who drew the actual issue. Oh, right, which I do remember seeing for that actual issue. Um, wow. I have to say that vibe is certainly a popular term on Wikipedia, and I don't think... Oh, wait, here he is. <laughs> I was like, out of the 19 terms for vibe... Yeah, and they do say there that it was created by Jerry Conway and Chuck Patton, and it's Wikipedia, just, so clearly... Yeah. <laughs> I, but I just love the DC's like we're gonna do the right thing and credit the creators. Oh I'm yeah, to get the creators' name wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sometimes they spell the creators' name wrong. So I mean, at least they, you know. Also, have you seen the um, the uh, page from Uncanny X Men issue two that's going around Twitter today? No. There's a page of internal monologue from Emma Frost, and it, it's being it's being passed around for two reasons. One, it is so amazingly overwritten. Like, mm-hmm. there is so much text in that page. Mm-hmm. You kind of want to give the letter a gold medal for making it look as good as he does. Uh-huh. The other reason it's been passed around is Jean Grey. Grey is spelt differently. Oh, God. Sometimes it appears. Oh. Editing, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> editing. <laughs> oh, why, why, why? I don't know. I just... 
you know, I have to say, I think that was last week. I read that first issue of, um, is it Uncanny X-Men? Yeah. Did you read that? No, I jumped off the Bendis X-Men train. You know, that's... even even Chris Bacalo cannot get me back. That first issue was actually pretty decent. I, as I recall, I think the person who hooked me up with the issue was like, you guys should talk about it on the podcast and definitely talk about how bad and weird the coloring is. And it's true, the coloring is not great in that issue. But the thing that's pretty funny is, A, it's basically a rewrite of, at least a partial rewrite of one of Bendis's earlier all-new X-Men issues, because it's, you know, Cyclops and his team save a mutant, you know, who is in the process of being, you know, persecuted. Um but it's done much better, and of course they don't have to balance that with the time travel and the beast. Like, I'm dying, or am I, or I'm not, you know? And there's even, like, a little last page reveal. Like, it the, it was described to me, and admittedly I'm easily biased, but I, I think this is uh, a, a strong, accurate take on it, is it's like, it's the first issue of Bendis in a long time that, that feels like a done-in-one, that actually feels like a full issue of a comic book. Um, wow. Yeah. That's I'm, high praise. I thought so too. So it's interesting. I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, I, I forgot up until the last minute that I should mention that it was not, it was not a bad book. It was not a bad book. It wasn't, it wasn't phenomenal, but it's weird. I know that I'm strangely more on the all new X-Men, what Bendis is doing there than you are. And I don't understand why that's the case at all. So, cause that was not what I was expecting. <laughs> um, in a weird way, I think it's because I want more from the X Men. Mm, mm-hmm. I think I may actually care more. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it is true. You know, it's funny. I I actually do think of uh, the X Men as some sort of utterly devalued currency. You know, like when you said that, I was going to be like, "No, Graham, nobody's ever cared more about the X Men than me." But we, that was true. And then back you're like, I... "No, wait, yeah." <laughs> I'm like, that was true 32 years ago, you know? <laughs> that is not in any way <laughs> technically true now. So, um, so yeah, that that totally could be the case. But um, I, I think maybe it's just, yeah, I don't know. In any event, um, it's funny that you didn't read it. Bacalo, art looks pretty. Coloring seemed very flat, especially digitally, um, oh, which is really? interesting because he decided I... to color it himself. Yeah, I normally really like Bacalo's coloring. That's that's one of the selling points for Bacalo for me these days. Well, you know, it could just be, I think he's, he maybe just be trying to find his stride. Because I think Bacalo is one of those guys, sort of in the same way that his design sense is very unique. I think that he was like, I want to do coloring that is very different from the digital coloring that you see out. So he's like, kind of like putting in sort of, as I recall, like a lot of purples and grays and pinks, but like very muted, very muted colors, uh, uh, variations of those colors. Whereas the stuff that I'm, I really dug like this, this Nova first issue of Nova is just, it's not subtle at all. I mean, the stuff glows like fucking radioactive isotope, um, on the iPad screen, but I really like that. So, um, yeah. Hey, but... I, I I have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. This might be the last question of the episode because we have we have rambled. I don't comics, understand I how it, I, at hours. all. I know. I'm just kind of like that doesn't seem right to me. So, um. Anyway, did you read the last issue of Hellblazer? I did not. Was it the last issue of Hellblazer? It's the last issue. Yeah, I did not. How was it? Uh, Milligan. 
I really like the ending, and I haven't actually been following Hellblazer really closely. Uh-huh. Um, I really like the ending. Oh yeah. Uh, he basically, spoiler alert, everyone. He basically kills off John Constantine. Wow. And I, by that, I don't mean the character, although I do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he kills off, like, he really underscores that John Constantine is a selfish, weak man. Mm-hmm. Which I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. So, Constantine has been killed mm-hmm. in in a previous issue. Mm-hmm. And this is, he is coming back because he is so wily, he can trick death type thing. Right. Uh... And then after he comes back, he's basically like, I am just fucking up people's life. I can't, like, I don't deserve love. I'm just going to leave. Mm-hmm. And then when his, his wife's like, you can't leave. What? That's that's really selfish. He's like, you're right. And then he essentially goes out and commits suicide. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's great. If you're doing a last issue of a book, that is a great way to finish it. <laughs> Good lord. There, there is there is lots of ambiguity in there. I'm sure that many people are going to argue with me that he commits suicide. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many people are going to argue with me over whether he actually dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there, it's that's the other thing I like about it. You really can like get the ending you want out of it. Right, right. Um, but for my read, that's mm-hmm. what happens. And I love it. Wow. Wow. It just feels appropriately brutal. Mhm. Mhm. Man. That uh that's pretty interesting, I have to say. Uh Again, it's one of those things where it's like uh you know, I wish I wish I wish the new Hellblazer team the best. I kind of have hope that it Have, comes have back. you seen Have you seen the preview? No. Oh god, the preview is honestly as bad as I could have feared. Really? Oh no. Yes. The preview is terrible. And a big reason why the preview is terrible is visually it is so out of sync with Hellblazer. Really? Yeah. It is like bright colors. <laughs> it like it just it doesn't it it was one of those I read it like I got I got um emailed the preview pages. Mm-hmm. And like it opens up and I was like, I hope this is good. And pretty much like before I even read it, like just looking at the pages, I was like, Oh Jesus <laughs> My heart is actually sinking before I've even read this. Jesus, okay, that is really not good. Um Yeah, I But it's 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 a great ending. And also I wonder I wonder how much of it was in place before he knew it was the last issue. Oh, interesting. Because it was it was always meant to be the last issue, last issue Middle of his issue, right? Yeah. Huh. Hmm. And I wonder what the, I wonder how it would have differed if the series was continued. Because hmm. I think you can tell. Mm-hmm. I think you I think you could go from, I think you could do exactly the same story, and it ends up with him walking out and his wife. Right. As opposed to he walks out and his wife, and then he. At least I think she's his wife. I can't even remember if they actually got married or not. I, I thought they, they did. But, hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it could end with him, like him being the weak one who runs on his wife, theoretically for a greater good, mm-hmm. as opposed to what he then does after it in the comic. Huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's it's really interesting. I, I, it makes me want to go back and reread 
or read in, in for a large part Milligan's run up until this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was with him for the first couple of collections, and I just fell behind more than anything. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I really, it's really, it's a really interesting last issue. Hmm. I have to say that is that is I do kind of have that moment of like ah if I had a few extra bucks maybe I would pick that up digitally and and read that then you know but but here's the thing you would be coming in like part six of a storyline right exactly so there's part of me that's like well that's probably not going to work so um, yeah I don't know uh, maybe I'll catch up on that last I assume it will be collected although it'd be pretty funny if they don't. You know, it's like, oh, the other th- the other thing is really funny. The final page of the comic, after the like the last page of the story, uh-huh. is a black page that's a vertical logo, and then it says twenty thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of amazing. someone made a joke on Twitter today that it misses the nineteen ninety three dash. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I kind of hope not, but I think we're all sort of expecting that, aren't we? Well, did you not see the really surprising uh, announcements for Vertigo today? I missed them. They're doing a fairest OGN, as in another Fables OGN, but this time it's actually going to have the fairest branding. Okay. Wow. And an unwritten OGN. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Really kind of weird, right? Yeah, that really is. Uh, I wonder if they're thinking of making the jump. Do you think, is there any news that they might be making the jump with um, Unwritten? I, to... I don't I know, because I mean, Unwritten is about to launch into its Fables crossover. Wow. wow, wow. Did you know that was coming? No, I didn't. I'm like, huh, you're yeah, totally issue, blowing issue my 50, mind, man. Issue 50 of the Unwritten is going to bring the Fables into the series. Wow. Huh. Which, considering both series are theoretically creator-owned, right. it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how they worked out the plan for that, sort of. Yeah, the agreement, so to speak, for that, because that is, that's pretty wild. Huh. Well, I say, Graham, that is some really interesting news. I wonder what the, wonder what the hell those people, what those crazy kids have up their sleeve. Yeah, I, I'm, it, it's one of those... Weird. Well, I'm fascinated by the coming. I, I I'm fascinated by the fact that they're like they keep trying to crack that OGN market, and I think it's good that they keep going for that. You know, because they have I think sort of seem to have fallen out in terms of how they can pace this stuff and make it work. Um, <laughs> you know, in terms of like the singles in the collections, like the, I think there's a very good case to be made that Hib that Hibs makes. That their that the trade weighting has has sort of diminished the ability for for the Vertigo books to sell, um, so it makes sense that they keep going for the OGN because it's like no, we're established in the book book place market, we can sell to the book place market, but they somehow still can't quite work out what's going to make it work. So the idea yeah, of doing fairest and unwritten OGNs makes sense in terms of a well, maybe it's like we need to be we need more than just the Vertigo name on there. If DC were not afraid of retailers, mm-hmm. which I think they still are, even though they are pissing off retailers left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. But if they weren't, mm-hmm. I would be very surprised if the plan wasn't to go digital singles print collections for for Vertical, especially now that it's under um, DCE. 
Right. You mentioned the, the is DCE what they're calling the West Coast Digital Branch? Yeah. Oh. Well, it's it's West Coast Branch in general. Yeah. Okay. But why is it? Oh, DCE is DC Entertainment. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. I'm like, why would they DCE for East Coast, sure. but it's on the West yeah. Coast? I'm like, very. Why would they do that? Surely it's DCW. <laughs> right, exactly. Graham, stop messing with me. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I like, because that just, that like makes sense to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, because the vertical single issues in the strike market are doing less, like 10,000 or below. Yeah, no, and at that point, you've got to do something else. You've got at that to point, you've really got to think, yeah. surely it would be cheaper Yeah. to do. You know, to try and monetize it digitally and then go to to print, yeah, in collection. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But I, I like if they tried that. I can't even imagine what would happen. The reaction if they tried that. Well, there are people. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly dudes like like Hibbs who are just like, "Hey, that's not a smart idea." On the other hand, it it kind of depends. You know, like if it's like we're taking, like if they turn around and like, and that's how we're doing fables from now on. I think the marketplace would be kind of batshit. I don't, I haven't really heard a lot of retailers like get up in arms over the, you know, over the fact that DC has moved their material, you know, has, is doing some digital first material and then moving it into the marketplace later. You know, I I mean, that that all sells well. That's the thing. Well, it's, it's so initially sold well, but I mean, those sales did drop pretty dramatically, didn't they? Over the course of like, didn't didn't isn't the Batman comic didn't it, didn't all of those digital comics like launch at about you know high thirties and then drop down to like seventeen or something like that by the third I, or fourth issue? No, I could be wrong. I th- I think they might be fairly consistent. I I thought it was like a bigger leap, but let me. If you can jump to that, if you can jump to that quicker fact, than I can. Let, let, let's try and find the numbers for that. Yeah. Shall we? Please. Um, okay, December. Oh, December's the one that for some reason just in German, isn't it? I don't understand why you did that. The beat, you really, really frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> that was really weird. Did you see that? They didn't yes. Run the- they didn't oh, run they didn't it because run. it was in German, and I was just like, what is, but what is here's that the weird about? Thing. Yeah, I don't know what it's about because it initially ran in German. Right. And Mark was like, this is the one I refuse to publish. Right. So what is in there? Because, like, I ran it through Google Translate. There doesn't seem to be anything offensive. I know. I did read it in Google Translate. I'm like, was there was there a Scooby-Doo joke? Or is it just she's getting tired of getting letters from, like, you know, Brian Wood, basically? Um, uh, it looks like uh, Legends of Dark Knight launched at 42 and then went down to 30. Okay, I'm looking at Ami Kami Girls that launched at 24 and went to 13. Uh, I'm, of course, working my way up the list. Dark, the, the Batman one is the highest. So, I'm sorry, what's it at now? It's at 27? Uh, 30. At 30. 30 is fine. Yeah, that is actually yeah, really exactly. good number. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, and I want to say that Injustice's orders are meant to be really good. Yes, those are picking up hugely well, but that's got that... Um, that's got a very mystery quality to it, it seems to me. Like, people are, you know, again, I haven't read it, but people are like, yeah, but it's, people are are saying that it's really well-written. Like, it's actually got heat on itself for its own material sake. That's a thing, yeah. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, I just, I, uh, I would not, here's the thing, what if Vertigo don't do it for fables, mm-hmm. or the unwritten, because right. those are 
continuing series, but do it for everything new. See, then... What if everything yeah. new for Vertical becomes digital first? Yeah. I think that, honestly, six and one half dozen of another. I think that I think that you would hear from some retailers who would be really frustrated at that, but on the other hand, I think that they would be like, well, what are you going to do? Because I, I think that, you know clearly the way that vertigo feels that it has to make its way in the marketplace is uh in opposite to at least the way that hibs insists that they should be moving into the marketplace you know because vertigo is very much uh you do six issues and you go right to the trade um and he's of course like no you're just cutting yourself off at the knees wait give yourself a period of time you know? to be com- i mean to be devil's advocate for vertigo haven't they tried Brian's way? I, you know, like, I, ha, hasn't that pretty much got them to where they are right now? Yeah, I mean, I no, he would say that the what's gotten them to where they are right now is is the fact that they instantly jumped, like that there was no delay between like six issues and then right to the trade. For me, I'm kind of like, but didn't Saga go like six issues and right to the trade, and like he's selling like absurd amounts. Of that, and sales went up with issue seven. Yes, That's exactly. The crazy thing, yeah. like if you look at the sales, the sell through of Saga, yeah. the sales jumped significantly from issue six to issue seven. <coughs> That's true. Although, didn't they then drop a little bit at issue? They eight? dropped a little, but they're still above issue six. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, yeah, I don't and know. Uh, like all told, because it went like it launched at like thirty, mm-hmm. and then with issue seven, it was like forty-eight, mm-hmm. and then it went back to like forty-three, maybe. Right. Maybe there's something like that where it just kind of jumped in a in a weird way. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I would honestly I would think that it is. I think that I strongly think that Vertigo should consider doing that. Let's put it this way: not necessarily for the established books, although maybe. But honestly, between the trade waiters and the number of people who like Vertigo books but tend to go piracy first for any number of reasons, I think that that. Uh, a properly priced, properly created Vertigo digital format might be is definitely worth exploring. Let's put it that way. Here's the thing: now that it's with like DC Entertainment and the West Coast, mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of time before we see that. As opposed yeah. to they should consider it. I would be really surprised if they're not considering it. Well, yeah, exactly. Like the fact that we say it means to me that they are considering it. How soon they can put that together, or what's the best way that they can put that together? I think those are the big questions. Like, are they just going to kind of like arbitrarily? You know what I mean? Like, are they going to arbitrarily jump into that side of the pool or not? You know, I think. By the twentieth birthday, mm-hmm. they'll have at least one digital first series. When is the first issue for their their twentieth anniversary? Isn't that's is that the end of this it's year? The summer. Oh. Yes, yeah, summer. Wow. Well, okay. Then you're really you're you're cutting things mighty close, my friend, because that means I'm, that they I'm putting to... it out there, Jeff. Yeah, seriously, that's the sort of thing that that means that they're going to have to announce it in the next two or three months, right? Yeah. Hang on. We'll see. When was the First vertical comic was what? Uh, in a commercial one? Was it? I want to say it was that or uh, the Death miniseries. Hmm. I'm they, like... they, were both, they were both first month launches. For Vertigo, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, October October 1st, 1993 is the cover date. Okay. Which meant that it came out August, I guess? Right, right. That sounds right. So. So, yeah. 
So they have, and they've just solicited May. Hmm. So June, July, August. So they'll have to solicit in May. Right. Which means they could announce a convention for then. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's the thing that they're going to be. Maybe that's their big news for WonderCon. Yeah. Well, my goodness, Graham, you've done such an amazing job, like at this very last minute, pulling out a fascinating um, uh, hypothetical. Like people, it, keep your ears open. If they call this, you know, if they announce this at WonderCon, you can pretty much say that Graham called it because that's uh, that'd be pretty amazing. Honestly, what I would love is I would love if they took some of the books that were great that are gone and try bringing those back on digital. Like I really, I really like that haunted tank that Joshua Dysert did. Like, oh no, sorry, unknown soldier that your Joshua Dysert did. I would, I would totally be down with that. Or yeah, but that's failed. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's, I think that's the problem. I don't think we'll get back to something that has failed recently. Oh, I see. So you're saying that they want to bring in something new that might be big. Rather than something, yeah, that, like, well, they're not going to be like, oh, we're going to we, do new we human know, target issues or something. No, we know that Peter Milligan is writing a new vertical project. He said that. Mm-hmm. That would be big enough, right? Do you know what I mean? Because he is one of the founding fathers. He is one of the writers of. Seriously, I think Enigma Man have been the first vertical release. Right. So, so if they could be like, the guy who wrote the first one is now doing our first digital Yeah, first. but I don't know, man. Like, you say that, but Milligan's kind of, like, he's one of the big guys for people in the know. He doesn't really have, A, he doesn't have that much heat in the marketplace. B, you can't yeah, even but, get, is vert- Enigma's not in print, is it? I know. No, so, I know. I mean, what, that's kind of like. Yeah, the idea of he's not one of the big names in, in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really matter on digital. Well, you know what I mean, Injustice is written by Tom Taylor. Well, true, that is true. And if it's a, it's or a big small title, bills by sure, Brian sure. Miller. Like if you just have, if you basically say it's a big enough uh, name, deal, yeah, or a big enough if, concept oh, or something. Yeah, if mm-hmm. it's you know, it's the guy who wrote the first vertical title. Mm-hmm. There's your news hook right there. There's your PR hook. Right. Oh, I see. They wrote the first Vertigo title. They're writing the first ongoing Vertigo digital title. Yeah. Okay. I must say, man, you've got a fine way with uh, understanding the the twisted serial killer like psyche of the PR marketing people. Okay, yeah, we say that like because I'm just saying this, Jeff. It's not like it's happened. Okay, well, an alternate way of saying what, it is you have the twisted serial killer like mind or personality <laughs> of a PR person, Graham. No, I think I think you're right. I think that's probably a great idea. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll bring back Shade the Changing Man. That'd be kind of amazing. That would be nice. Yeah, if he was like doing a new Shade series um, digitally, like I would be, I'd be all over that. You know, I really would. Says the we, guy who I, who didn't really pick up Justice League Dark, but you know, yeah, exactly. That Jeff, you didn't you didn't really miss anything. <laughs> well, um, okay. Uh, any other closing predictions? When when the hell is WonderCon? I guess EC uh, Emerald City Con is the is the first real it's con. A, a week tomorrow. Wow, which means it'll pretty much by the time this episode is up, it'll it'll be it'll be just a few days away. Yeah, uh, let's see. WonderCon twenty thirteen uh, is March March twenty ninth. Mm-hmm. There you go. So yeah, March twenty ninth, the thirty first, in the Anaheim Convention Center. Well, there we have it. Are you doing any of the conventions? This is the important uh, thing I, for I, future I stalkers. Am, I am still 
unsure whether I'm doing Emerald City Con. Wow, really? Still? That's, that's a week tomorrow. <laughs> wow, Graham. Here, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I want to. I don't know if I'll have a clear enough schedule to do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I really want to deal with the hassle of booking accommodation. Right, right. And when I say hassle, I really mean cost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you could probably crash on somebody's floor, right? I was thinking about it, but I don't know. It's just, uh, we'll see. It's 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 the traditional like pre-spring apathy that I always go through. Right? Yes. I really want to see everyone, but it, if if it involves effort, right? Yeah, I'm sort of the same way. I'm like, I'm not. Do- I, I, it's like I don't know why I'm pressuring you. I'm not doing a single goddamn con at all. Like, the only way one I would have done would have been if WonderCon was here. Um, and frankly, the fact the that other, what's that? I was going to say the other thing is things might be happening with work immediately following mm-hmm. Emerald City that I might like it might actually be sensible for me to spend the weekend before relaxing because the next week or so afterwards will be the very opposite of relaxing. Wow. Wow. Okay. But, but they they also might not happen. It's one of those things where like someone I work for is like, just as a heads up, this might happen. <laughs> but it might not. You know, and you're like, well what what do I do then? Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Well hey, on that merry note it's been oh, very much. yes. It has been two hours. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's been two two hours and a, two and a quarter hours. So we should probably let our poor oh. listeners off the hook. Um, hey, listeners, thanks for listening. Yes, absolutely. I also meant to say before we go, um, I listened to the 100th episode of House to Astonish. Yes. Congratulations, gentlemen. Alan Ball, you did a, a great job, a great show, and also proved while. Why Jeff and I can never bring our wives onto the podcast? Oh my God! Did they so do that? More, yeah, they would, like our wives would be so much more sarcastic and dismissive of everything we said. Oh my God! Oh my God! I have to go listen were now. Completely game. Oh, it's a great episode. It's really good. Wow, that is fantastic. I mean, I was planning. I don't know. It's it's one of those like I've been planning to listen to House of Astonish forever. I should really just jump in now. Is why I should do. Jump you should in jump in with the hundredth episode. It's yeah. it's very very funny. Okay, that sounds fabulous. Um. That's great. Actually, before I jump, I should mention that um, ba ba boo boo. Give me a second here. That um, Axel ba, ba, Keeland ba. is the fine gentleman um, who sent me this copy, of the collected Hookjaw Volume One. Um, sent it to me all the way from the um, uh, I want to say Scandinavian countries, but I can't exactly remember which one. But this will probably tip you off. He asked that I mention, give a shout out to the Oslo Comics Expo uh, coming up in Oslo, June seventh and eighth of two thousand thirteen. People who are interested in the Oslo-ish area around that time should go to ocx.no. And for people who are wondering, um, yes, if do, you do send me Hookjaw volumes, I will actually I will pimp stuff on the air for you. So that's wait, 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 wait. Do we have many Norwegian listeners? Because that's amazing. Isn't it kind of amazing? Um, we, we well, I don't know how many more we have, but we certainly have. We certainly have Axel. So Axel, was, that, thank you for making my day. That's that's really great to isn't know. Isn't that great? And that, and he was he sent me this Hookjaw forever. It didn't show up. Apparently, the post office was very confused by the the address labeling or something. So we had given up Hookjaw for Lost, and then it showed up the other day when I was at work. Um, and Edie texted me, and I, I basically embarrassed myself by, by yelling out, woo-hoo, at work. 
So. <laughs> That's spectacular. <laughs> and on that merry note, listeners, we will hear we will hear from you. No, we would. We will talk to you. <laughs> you will hear from us. It's been a long week, Jack. <laughs> hear from us listeners next week Jeff do you want to sing us out bye <laughs> I've literally got my arms in the air in a picture pose <laughs> brilliant that's great